Hey, this is Sam for Dobbs. If you need tires, hop on our website, go to Dobbs.com. We'll save you time searching brands, sizes, and prices, and save you money because we sell tires at the lowest price in town, guaranteed. For deals you can use, click on go to Dobbs.com now. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Yates of KSDK and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. We are normally not going straight out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line, but today we make an exception because former Major League Baseball general manager, now MLB analyst and insider for Sirius XM, MLB radio and the athletic Jim Bowden is willing to join us here on the show to start things out today. Jim, we appreciate the time as always, my man. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Happy trade deadline week to you guys. Absolutely. And same to you. Let's start there, Jim. Uh, There has been a lot of buzz about the Cardinals as a potential match in the Juan Soto sweepstakes. I know you have mentioned them in your pieces over on The Athletic. What is the latest that you were hearing on both the Cardinals' interest in Juan Soto and also the Nationals' urgency to trade Juan Soto? Yeah, what I can tell you is there are more than a dozen teams that are in play with Soto. The Nationals want four or five players back. They can be either top prospects or major league talent uh, in the deal. Uh, They are going to get, when and if they do trade them, they're going to get the biggest haul we've ever seen in baseball history in any trade. And they should because Soto is 23 years old and if you trade for them now, you get them for three postseasons and also have the ability to, to extend them long-term if you decide you want to do that. Um, the reason the Cardinals are tied to them is the fact that John Mosellock, the president, has a long history of trading for stars rather than signing them as free agents and had a lot of success in trading for Matt Holliday and Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt, etc. The other reason why the Cardinals have been tied is because they actually have an organization that is loaded with different pieces that the Nationals love, different players at all levels. You know, at the major league level, they certainly have two corner outfielders in Dylan Carlson and Tyler O'Neill. They've got a third baseman, Nolan Gorman, that's expendable because having Arenado and Gorman's not really a second baseman. You've got Juan Yepes. You've got Brendan Donovan all at the big league level. And then the farm system loaded, of course, Jordan Walker, arguably the best prospect in baseball for me, from what I've seen. He's number one on my list. Um, so he's out there, although I don't think the Cardinals would want to include him if they can help it for just two and a half years of Soto. Uh, but they've got a shortstop in Mason Wynn. They've got an outfield in Alec Burleson. They've got a pitching prospect like Michael McGreevy. So the bottom line is, there is so much in their system and so much at the major league level that it's easy to see how a deal could be pieced together. That being said, Cardinals' biggest need really is starting pitching, and they've got a you know a chance to win the division. They've got a chance to 
you know, if you get in the playoffs, anything can happen with a chance to win a World Series. So I, I think it's going to be fascinating to see what happens. But there were reports out there that Cardinals were the front runner to get them. That is not true. I've been told very clearly there is no front runner at this point. Um, and it's going to take a haul to get them. So we'll have to just wait and see. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say anybody right now is the favorite to land them because there's so many teams at play, and people may be surprised where he ends up because it may be a team that people just are not expecting. And, Jim, you did say that you believe Jordan Walker is maybe the top prospect in baseball right now. Uh, St. Louis is in a situation where it's very easy to fall in love with a lot of these prospects who have depth in the farm system. And you've been in that situation where you've had to make some of these tough decisions. So from your experience, when is it time to let go of a prospect and maybe pursue a player who has proved his consistency? And when do you know when to hang on to a prospect like that? Well, I mean, first of all, when you talk about Walker, to me, he's a future superstar. So when I, you know, I went about five years ago in 2017, I was at the Futures game and I text Mark Shapiro. And at that point, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. wasn't being rated by everyone as the best prospect in the game. And, and I text him and I said, he was the best prospect on the field and would win an MVP someday. And he's, he didn't win it because Otani was there, but he finished second. Um, that was five years ago. At this Futures game, I text John Mosellock with the same thing about Jordan Walker. So, you know, when Walker gets there, you're going to get six years of a guy that's an absolute monster. He's 6'5". He doesn't have a lot of holes in the play. He's going to hit for average. He's going to hit for power. And, oh, by the way, he can play first, third, left, or right, wherever you have a need. And it's just he's just one of those guys that, you know, if, if I were in their shoes and decided to trade for Soto, I would do everything in my power to put packages together that just did not include him. Because in an ideal world, how fun would it be to have Soto and Wright and Jordan Walker in left field? I mean, that, that's what I would want if I was John Bozalock there. So, but besides that, I, you know, I, when, I, when, I look at, when I look at Soto, you know, he is such a generational talent that just never gets traded. I mean, last time we saw an MVP caliber player traded was probably when I traded for Ken Griffey Jr. when the Reds traded Frank Robinson to the Baltimore Orioles. I mean, you just don't see that kind of player traded, usually. But, you know, he's 23 years old. The Nationals are being sold. Soto doesn't want to sign because he doesn't know who the new owner is going to be. Um, so he turned down $440 million. So it sounds like he's going to get moved between now and August 2nd. So, I mean, there really shouldn't be any prospect that stands in, in the way of Soto, to be honest with you. But if I'm the Cardinals, Walker would be the one guy that I would do everything in my power not to put in a deal. Do you believe that there is a deal to be made if Walker is not involved with the Cardinals? Yeah, I do. I think there's a lot there because the Nationals would have the ability with St. Louis to get guys back that would allow them to probably be even more competitive than they are now. I mean, you could get both their corner outfielders, right? There's there's so many pieces there. I mean, you could get Carlson, Gorman, um, you know, Carlson, Gorman, Wynn, and Yepes, or, you know, some combination there. So it's there's definitely a combination. It really depends on what the other teams are willing to put in the deal. You know, if the Yankees are going to put in, in their offer, if they're going to put in Volpe, Dominguez, Waldachuk, and another one, are the Dodgers going to put in uh, Cartea and Miller, um, Pepio, and, and, and White? I mean, so it really depends on what your competition. You know, if, if you're Washington, you're going to go to each team, and you're going to give them a price that, is going to, that you'll make the deal with. And even if you meet that, you may not get the player because it's going to depend on which package they like better. And you know, we talk about beauty in the eye of the beholder. That's really the case when it comes to trades like this. 
It's going to be what package does Mike Rizzo and his staff like better. So, you know, he could look at the Cardinals' four best prospects, the Dodgers, the Yankees, the Mariners, the Padres, the Rays, any other team that's in this thing, and they may decide that they like a package that's different than what the Cardinals think or the Dodgers think, and that's just that's just all part of the process. So I don't think any of us are going to know until Washington makes that decision, but this is a generational talent that, to me, you're making a big mistake if you're a GM and, and not trying to acquire them. And I don't care what market size you're in because it's three postseasons guaranteed. And this is the kind of, of uh, talent that you want to be your face of the franchise. He does the charity work. He's got a good sense of humor. He's humble. He has a lot of fun playing the game. He's a fan favorite wherever he walks into. I mean, it, he's a special guy. So, I mean, I, I think it's a mistake if teams don't try. Jim, in your mind, is there any way that the Cardinals can pursue a Juan Soto and a starting pitcher of the caliber that they need to be able to compete down the stretch, or is it a one or the other situation? I mean, I think it'd be really hard to do both, right? I mean, first of all, there's not a lot of starting pitching available. You've got Louis Castillo that the world wants, but you've got to wonder if Cincinnati's going to put him in, keep him in their own division, right? You've got Pablo Lopez in Miami. You've got Frankie Montas Jr. We've got to worry about the shoulder. You've got Martin Perez in in Texas, but you don't know if Texas is actually going to trade him. Um, you know, and they're trying to extend him right now, so they might extend him to take him off the market. I mean, there's just not a lot of starters that are available that are impactful. There's some back of the rotation kind of guys like Noah Syndergaard, but there's not a lot of impact there. Um, you know, and the Soto thing, it's going to be really hard to get Soto, even if you make an incredible offer. I mean, you can overpay and, and, um, and make an offer of your five best prospects and still not get them. So, uh, that, that's the difficult part. So, you know, if, if you're in the front office, you're working on all the trades at the same time, hoping you can get one. It's not easy. Jim Bowden is our guest for another few minutes here on 101 ESP, and you can find his work over on MLB Network Radio. You can also read it over at The Athletic. He had a great Q&A earlier today that posted on The Athletic. He's also on Twitter, at Jim Bowden GM. Uh, Jim, I am curious. There have been some that have floated the possibility of Patrick Corbin's contract being tied to Juan Soto, and maybe that makes it easier, more palatable for another general manager to make the move to acquire Soto in terms of the prospect cost there do you think that is something the nationals are exploring and if so i guess this may seem like a weird question when we're talking about soto but do you think corbin helps the cardinals um not what i've seen in the last two years he's been the most hittable pitcher in baseball um you know that being said you know is it possible that you could put him in the bullpen is it possible that you can get the slider back yeah anything's possible I've seen guys bounce back. I mean, the unfortunate part is we've watched him for two years. You know, the one thing he does do is, he, he, you know, he posts up, right, and missed a start in two years. And he gives you five innings. I don't think he's made a start under five innings in two years. He just gets hit, and he gets hit hard and, and harder than anybody else. Is there a role in the bullpen? Is there an analytic department or a technology department that can sit there and, and fix him? I don't know the answer to that. I wouldn't want to take a chance with the amount of money you got to pay him the next two years. I wouldn't want to take the contract. It's a bad contract. So not only are you taking Soto $17 million this year, but, you know, how much are you going to get paid in arbitration in the next two years, right? So was it going to be $25 million, something like that? Sure. So, you know, you've you got to put all of that into account when you're making a deal. And if you're the Nationals and you want someone to take Corbin, you know, the expectation on the other side is, okay, you get, you get less prospects. So the Nationals will look at, 
you know, all the packages they get. They'll look at packages they get without putting Corbett in the deal. They'll look at packages they get with putting Corbett on the deal and then figure out what's best for their bottom line. Keep in mind, the team is being sold. Um, they haven't announced uh, who the new owner is going to be. I don't think they've decided. They're still in the negotiating process. They're going to make three to four times what they invested in the team. But what the sale does could affect this trade. You know, does a new owner coming in want to try to sign Soto? Does a new owner want them to trade Soto before they get there? Uh, and then if, if is taking Corbin off the books, does that increase the value of the sale by an amount, which, which would, might motivate the ownership to – take less prospects to put Corbin in. I mean, all of those things have to be answered and they won't be publicly. It'll just be privately behind the scenes. So I think, you know, if, if you want Soto and you're a GM out there, make your best offer. And if, if you can find a way financially to take Corbin off their hands as part of your offer, that's certainly going to help uh, improve your package to that ownership group. Final question, Jim, and we'll get you out of here on this one. The three teams that interest me uh, for the Cardinals when it comes to the pitching side of things, getting off the Juan Soto sweepstakes for a moment, are the Red Sox, the Giants, and the Marlins. All three could go the route of sellers, but it doesn't feel like there's urgency necessarily to do so at this point. With the Red Sox, you've got Nathan Avaldi. With the Giants, you've got uh, Rodon. And then in Miami, there's the Pablo Lopez possibility what do you think is the likelihood that any of those three get traded by the deadline? And do you think they would be good fits here in St. Louis? Okay. So I have an article coming up in the athletic. It should be posted the next hour in which I've been in contact with all 30 front offices. And I have an update on there exactly who's buying, who's selling, what the status is and the players that are on the trade market here. Um, I can tell you ahead of the article uh, being posted that even though it looks like the Red Sox should be sellers, they're not sellers. They're actually trying to win. They don't like the term buyers, but they're trying to improve the team. They're trying to get a bat, either first base or the outfield. They're trying to get relief help. They are not selling. I do not expect Evaldi or Bogarts to be traded. That doesn't mean the next week, you know, if they go over for the week, the things may not change emotionally, but they're only three games out of the wild card. When I talk to the Giants, uh, they're focused on improving the defense on that team. They think if they improve the defense, the pitching can get better. They feel like in the last two months of the season, they can find to get a way to get wild cards. So, you know, there's going to be a lot of reporting out there, but a lot of people don't contact the 30 teams like I do on a regular basis. Okay. So I'll do that. Now the Marlins absolutely will trade Lopez. Um, red flag number one make sure make sure you do your homework on his shoulder he's had shoulder issues in the past and yes he's got one of the best change-ups in the league and yes i love him he knows how to pitch make sure there's no physical issue with the shoulder and if that is cleared then be prepared to trade him harrison bader if you want to get him because they want a starting center fielder and i think bader or dylan carlson one or the other is going to be the price to get lopez i don't think you're going to be able to get him uh, with a prospect package. What so about Tyler O'Neill? I can't. I can't answer Tyler O'Neill. I, I know they want center field, and O'Neill isn't center field. So I've been clearly told if Lopez has moved, they want center field. Bader and Carlson. You can play Carlson in center. Obviously, sure. Bader's Gold Glove in center. So that's that's kind of a quick update on those three teams. Interesting. Hey Jim, we appreciate the time, man. Thank you so much for joining us today. We'll be following your work over at SiriusXM MLB Network Radio, and of course over on the Athletic as well. 
Thanks so much. Have a good day. You got it. That's former MLB GM Jim Bowden joining us here on the show. Uh, Hannah Yates, by the way, is in studio with us today. She's going to be filling in, helping us out while Alex is out this week on paternity leave. He'll be joining us via Zoom next week, probably completely sleep deprived. So we're excited to have Hannah with us multiple days this week in studio. There's a ton to react to there. Jim Bowden said there are 12 teams, at least 12 teams that have been in serious contact with the Nationals about Juan Soto. He said it's going to take you at least four players. It's going to be the biggest haul in Major League history if the Nationals are to trade Juan Soto. He said, quote, it is not true that there is a front runner in this sweepstakes and that the Cardinals, if they are listed as a front runner from other t- other reporters, that is not necessarily the case based on his reporting. And oh, by the way, he was the general manager in Washington. So I would imagine he's probably got some connection still within the organization. He called Jordan Walker a future superstar and said if it was in his list, he would be the number one prospect currently in baseball and he would not want to trade Jordan Walker. He also added on the Juan Soto sweepstakes that you are, quote, making a big mistake if you don't try to acquire Juan Soto as a general manager. And then, of course, finished things out by saying that the Red Sox are unlikely sellers. The Giants are unlikely sellers, but you might be able to get Pablo Lopez for the guy that currently has plantar fasciitis. So there you go. Let's react to all of that on the other side. Lots to get into, including what I think is maybe the most interesting part. Let's start with the end of that conversation first, then we'll get to Soto Pablo Lopez, maybe? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Now, the Marlins absolutely will trade Lopez. Um, Red flag number one. Make sure make sure you do your homework on his shoulder. He's had shoulder issues in the past, and yes, he's got one of the best changeups in the league. And yes, I love him. He knows how to pitch. Make sure there's no physical issue with the shoulder, and if that is cleared, then be prepared to trade him, Harrison Bader, if you want to get him, because they want a starting center fielder. And I think Bader or Dylan Carlson, one or the other, is going to be the price to get Lopez. I don't think you're going to be able to get him uh, with a prospect package. That was Jim Bowden, former Major League Baseball general manager, now an analyst for both the Athletic and Sirius XM MLB Network Radio, joining us moments ago. If you missed any of the conversation, highly recommend checking it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, and the free 101 ESPN app. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Pablo Lopez is a super interesting name. Now, Jim also told us the pitching market stinks. The Red Sox and the Giants are not expected to be sellers at this point in time. They are more likely to be buyers than sellers. So that goes back to Pablo Lopez. Lopez, for those of you curious, is 26 years old. He's had injury issues in his past. He only started 20 games last year, and prior to that, he had only started more than 11 games in a season once, and that was when he started 21 games back in 2019 in the big leagues. He's really good. He has one of the best change-ups in baseball, and he has a couple of years left of team control. So you would like to have a guy like that. But again, the injury issues are very real. We've got Hannah Yates in studio with us today. She's going to be filling in for Alex a couple of days this week. Hannah, I like the idea of Pablo Lopez a lot, and I am a Harrison Bader stan. I love Harrison Bader. I think he's a really good player that is undervalued locally because of the limitations offensively. I think he helps you defensively. If he wasn't hurt, I would trade Harrison Bader in a second for Pablo Lopez. 
But I don't think that's what the Marlins are going to be looking for right now. You've got a center fielder who all of his value is based upon his speed and his energy. And right now he's dealing with uh, plantar fasciitis, which is taking away all of that energy and speed from him. So I don't know that you could get that deal done right now. What did you make of what Jim Bowden had to say about Pablo Lopez in the pitching market right now? I don't think that's a name that I've highly considered in the pitching market right now, to be honest with you. So I thought it was really interesting that he brought that up as a viable option for the Cardinals when he threw out them wanting a center fielder. I'm like, sure, take it. I mean, (laughs) I'm like, sure. Yeah, that's fine. I think I agree with you on the Harrison Bader front, but I almost take the opposite approach in that. I don't think Harrison Bader has been overvalued by any means, but I do think that that's someone the Cardinals could afford to lose. Definitely. Um, in the long run, 100%. I do think Dylan Carlson has upped his trade value and he has shown major improvements defensively in center field that we did not see for a while as as, as well as offensive improvements. Um, so I'd be interested to what they see on that front. Is that someone that you would be willing to sacrifice as well? I wouldn't I, move Carlson. I wouldn't for an injury-prone pitcher. If I'm moving Carlson, it's in a Juan Soto type of a conversation where I'm getting a clear cut improvement from Carlson in that same area of my lineup. So that's that is when I would consider listening on Carlson. Otherwise, I'm not really interested in trading a guy that's 23 years old, has shown clear offensive upside. And as you said, if you don't get Bader back at the same level as he was previously because of this injury, that's at least possible. Like, I don't know how he returns from this injury. He might not be back this year. It's possible. I I know Carlson can play center field adequately. So I don't think I'm trading him for Pablo Lopez. I don't think I'm trading him for any pitcher really at this deadline. Would you consider that Tanner? I wouldn't consider moving Carlson for Pablo Lopez, but I will say this Pablo Lopez hearing that he's available. He's the number one target moving on my trade board. And that's above, above Soto. That's above Juan Soto. Ooh. Pablo Lopez is a difference maker for the Cardinals, in my opinion. Really? Because he has shown he can stay healthy this year. And I get it. I, you heard Bowden on the return. We got to get the MRI on that shoulder, make sure that that thing is fine. But he's the difference maker for this team because he's a top end pitcher that they need. And I, as much as I love the idea of a Juan Soto, it sounds like you're giving up the farm for him. And. Honestly, you're not. It sounds like you're not going to have to give up the farm for Pablo Lopez, and that's more of a need for the Cardinals. Is that starting pitcher? They desperately need someone to come in and eat up innings. And in my opinion, they desperately need that someone to be a top end guy. And Pablo Lopez is that. I didn't think that the Marlins would be listening to offers on Pablo Lopez. I I thought I had basically crossed him off the list. Like, okay, mm-hmm. it's going to take a hell of a package to get this done. And now it sounds like the Marlins are more open to the idea of trading up. Now, if they're looking for center field help. That's where it gets tricky for me because if you probably can't part with Bader because of the injuries, and I'm not willing to part with Dylan Carlson, and it sounds like, according to Jim Bowen, they may not have interest in Tyler O'Neill. So I don't know who that outfielder is that I'm going to be parting with. If they said, if Jim's wrong, and listen, he talks to all 30 teams, he made sure to make that very clear. If Jim's wrong, and they are willing to, like the Cardinals don't view Tyler O'Neill as a center fielder, which is strange because that's what he came up as, and I've always wondered, could he play the position? Cardinals say no. Maybe the Marlins disagree with that assessment. Maybe they say, you know what? Look at the speed. Like he won a gold glove out in left field. This is a guy that can play center field if we ask him to do so. And he's great in left field if we decide to move him there. If they called you and said, we will trade you Pablo Lopez and it will be a pure baseball trade straight up Lopez for um, Tyler O'Neill. Would you do that, Hannah? Is that a conversation you're willing to entertain? I don't know if I 
I, I would entertain it. I would entertain almost anything for pitching at this point. But I would say that the difference with Tyler O'Neill is that he is the bat that they're betting on down the stretch like they did last season. And and granted, he didn't show up. He showed up consistently at times throughout the most recent series. But then on Sunday, Paul Goldschmidt is your offense, right? Mm-hmm. So I think it's a tough bet to take given the bat and the injury situation right now without a bait or without Yepes, without guys that you were banking on of playing offense consistently He's kind of the guy that they're banking on, and we haven't seen him in full form since he's returned from injury, but I think that's a tough situation to get into as well. Yeah, that's kind of where I am, too. As much as I love Pablo Lopez, look, I would normally consider trading Tyler So you really want Tyler Pablo O'Neal. Lopez. Do you yeah, actually yeah, want Pablo I really, Lopez? I really want I don't him, know, but, man. you know, can I just take him from you and not have to worry about what I'm giving up? Like, how about Newt? Newt could play center. Have you seen the tongue out? He could do it. Uh, but I, I don't... Th- the problem with the O'Neill trade is what Hannah said, is that they are banking on him being that, that bat down the stretch. And if it's not him, then who is it? Is it Nolan Gorman? I mean, he's gone through a really tough stretch before the All-Star break. Can I interest you in an Alec Burleson? <laughs> <laughs> I have interest. I don't, apparently the Cardinals don't have interest in him. So um, I, I don't know. I, I would say, again, Pablo Lopez is number one on the list for me. I don't know if I'd trade O'Neill, though. or I definitely don't trade Carlson. Again, I don't think they would take Bader because of the injuries. And O'Neill is... To Hannah's point, he's the bat they're banking on. Like He's the guy that they are betting on in the second half that is going to take off like he did last year, and that's going to make this offense deeper in terms of that three through five spot. So it's tough for me to say trade O'Neal. I think if this was the offseason discussion, yeah, absolutely. You trade him because you know what's going to be coming up at the midway point next year, Jordan Walker. But in terms of looking at it just in this year and this perspective— it's hard to move on from Tyler O'Neill. So I don't know how you get the deal done with Miami. This feels like the Cardinals are in a spot where they've got to make a decision of, are we trying to win for now or are we trying to win for next year? And I, I think a deal like O'Neill for Lopez splits the baby in a way where maybe you could try to do both because eventually Juan Yepes is going to be back from his forearm strain. You do have Alec Burleson and I know we joke, but I would assume that they would call him up if they decided to trade Tyler O'Neill, and you just hope that he can help you offensively with some production in left field. I don't know what that offense looks like. I do know that Pablo Lopez is a clear upgrade over anything that you have an opportunity to throw out there as your third starter right now. And when you go into the playoffs, you need a third starter. Steven Matz, we don't know if he's going to be available. My assumption is you're getting nothing from Jack Flaherty until proven otherwise. So right now, your two guys that I trust going into a playoff series in the rotation are Mike and Wayno. That third guy, I don't know. Hudson, maybe. Palante, maybe. You've got a decent bullpen, and your lineup, you feel really good about like four guys that are in there, and Tyler O'Neill is among those players. But everybody's been saying all along, this team needs pitching. Why are you guys talking about Juan Soto? Focus on the pitching. Well, here's a pitcher that could legitimately improve your rotation. Like We're not talking right now about Martin Perez, who could collapse at any moment, or Paul Blackburn, who I think has a 7 ERA in the second half, or any of these other like fringe 4-5 starters. This guy's a legit number two starter for the Marlins and could come in and not just help you this year. Pablo Lopez is not a free agent. I'm going to check this out. I think it's until 2025. I think that's right. So you've got two more years of club control. So this helps you now and also the next two years when you really do still have some pitching questions. I think I would do it. I know that it's a lot to give up, but as Tanner said, I think Jordan Walker is going to be here next year. And that guy could fit into my outfield mix. I could consider moving, and I know the Cardinals don't want to, but maybe Gorman ends up being a left fielder for you. Maybe you consider moving him to the outfield. You've got options out there that could give you 80% of what Tyler O'Neill is offensively. 
You don't have anybody that can give you anything approaching what Pablo Lopez could do for your rotation right now. So, again, this is all operating under the assumption that the Marlins are even interested in O'Neill, and we don't know that to be true. But if they are, I think this is probably I, I would actually put this above Soto in terms of both likelihood to happen and also my interest in making that kind of a package for Pablo Lopez. That's where I stand on it. And I would say the Lopez factor that is the most intriguing is what you mentioned in that he's not walking after this season, right? It's not a rental situation, which I do think it'll be interesting to see what John Moselock, if anything, which he pretty much has to at this point, given the math situation and pursuing a starter, if he's looking to do something that does help the team in a two or three year situation, which I do think is the way to go at this point. So that's why I think it's a more vital viable option for the Cardinals. And like Jim said, we just don't know with the Tyler O'Neill. And I do think if we had proof of consistency with the healthy lineup that the Cardinals would have consistent at bats offensively, then Tyler O'Neill wouldn't be such a big hit right now. But I do think that's why the situation is tough to tell with him. And I'll say this too, when you look at it in terms of the money, money in that, he could potentially be your number one pitcher heading into next season. If you acquire Pablo Lopez and he could potentially be maybe the cheapest guy in the rotation because Adam Wainwright if he's back he's probably making around what he is this year you look at Michaelis he's making what 18 million dollars I think uh next season Matt is gonna be making around I think 11 and then who's the one I'm forgetting oh Flaherty Flaherty who's gonna be making he'll be making north of what Pablo Lopez is because I think he's in the final year of arbitration and you look at Lopez even though he's had a good year he's only making 2.45 million this year he'll probably be making around six to eight so I mean you're talking about acquiring a guy that not only you have control over for two years but he's gonna be pretty cost effective and then it can allow you I know I say this, and the Cardinals don't usually do this, but then you can go out in the free agent waters as well, and your ace essentially on your staff is the cheapest pitcher that's on on your team. The other thing, if you do acquire Lopez, like the upside for the rotation next year suddenly gets really interesting, where you've got Michaelis, Matz, Wayno, potentially. We'll see. I... I'm starting to wonder if the Cardinals want him back. I think he wants to pitch next year. The Cardinals continue to do these things where they're like, yeah, you know, we're celebrating these guys on the way out. It's it's a, it's an right. odd situation. But Wayno, maybe. Flaherty, Hudson, Liberator, McGreevy and Graceffo are closer than I think a lot of people are giving them credit for right now. I think both of them could impact the team kind of like Liberator has this year. Uh, next hopefully not year. the Libertor effect. Yeah, well, I was yeah. I was going <laughs> to say in a better way. I don't know if it's a hot take, but I am not sold on Matthew Libertor whatsoever. And I've been very iffy yeah. on Dakota Hudson. You are in a uh, safe, yeah, safe, safe space, space for both of those opinions <laughs> here. Uh and then Jerpy is apparently very close to being ready as a college lefty, and he was their first round pick this year. I just named, I think, nine starters that could at least factor into your rotation next year, with an upside for a lot of those guys as being two or three starters for you and Flaherty will see like he's got the upside of a number one starter. Pablo Lopez changes the outlook for the rotation, not just for this year, but also for the next couple of years. So for that reason, I'm in favor of trading Tyler O'Neill for him. It all comes down to would the Marlins do that? And we just don't have the answer to that question. If they're truly looking for a center fielder, there might be other teams that fit better with what they're looking for. Kind of like the Cardinals fit well with what the Nationals are looking for for Juan Soto. Coming up here in about 15 minutes, we'll get into some questions and answers. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Danny Mac joins us at noon, Buster only at 1 o'clock. But coming up next, we got to talk a little bit about the Blues because earlier today, The Athletic put out a piece on the worst contracts in the NHL. There is one blue represented on the list. I'm not even sure he has the worst contract on the blues. We'll talk about that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
the offensive numbers, uh, that's not that's not how I judge Colton right now. Uh, now, if he gets back on the power play, then then that changes the script and how you judge him. But right now, it's it's more defending, playing against other team top players, and uh, I think he does a good job at that. Colton Pareko is objectively a pretty good player. Pretty good player. I think sometimes we get out over our skis on how good he is. That was Doug Armstrong during the Blues season talking about how he evaluates Colton Pareko's play. And earlier today, alongside Hannah Yates and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. The Athletic put out a piece. They do this every year on their 10 worst contracts in the NHL. Now, some of these, not surprising. The top two in particular, Tyler Sagan for the Dallas Dallas Stars, and then number two, Seth Jones. Nobody surprised by that. Eight years, $9.5 million per. That was a bad contract the moment they signed it in Chicago, and now they would love to get out of it if they could. You scroll down, though, and at number six on this list is Colton Pareko. He signed an eight-year deal worth $6.5 million per season, He had the back issues. Last year was the first year where he was back to being fully healthy. And here's what the athletic had to say about Pareko. The third big defenseman contract on this list is from the summer of 2021. And it doesn't come in at the exorbitant $9 million, but it's every bit as problematic for the blues. Colton Pareko signed that eight year contract that kicks off with his age 29 season and pays him $6.5 million per year. The expectation for such a contract would be a solid number two defenseman. Compared to the other defenders on this list, Pareko's ceiling is not on offense. He's generally good for about 30 to 35 points, and that does hold his value back, but his strength comes from his defense. The problem is that Pareko hasn't been good defensively over the past two years, and it continues to go on as to why they believe that will be the case, but they finish with this. Getting back to the top pair level in his early 30s would make this deal much more palatable for the Blues, but it's no guarantee for that. And in his mid-30s, it will likely be an even tougher pill to swallow. This is going to be a very interesting season to watch the trajectory of Colton Pareko. That all comes from the Athletic, who say that he is the sixth worst contract right now in the NHL. Hannah, I'm not even sure that I would argue that he's the worst contract on the Blues, but where do you fall on this with Colton Pareko? I think that Colton Pareko has not lived up to certain standards that people had, whether it was implanted in their minds by the organization um, or by certain seasons that he had. He had six goals during the regular season this year. I think that when he consistently put up at least 10 goals, at certain points in the regular season, people are like, oh, this is going to be, you know, he's not hit his ceiling. And then since he's tapered off a little bit in that sense, I think that's caught people off guard. But Colton Pareko does a lot of the things that stats don't show. The ability to carry the puck out of the defensive zone, the ability to wrap around the net. If you looked at the way that he scores some of these goals, it's really impressive. I mean, there's certain forwards on third and fourth lines that can't do things that he's done, even from an offensive standpoint. Those things aren't taken into account. And I do believe that that's why the organization views him a certain way. But it is interesting because based on Doug Armstrong's comments, he hasn't even really viewed him as an offensive player like we have been told when he was first brought into this organization. I mean, we were told he was going to be an offensive powerhouse uh, from when he was drafted. So I think it's a tough situation there, Um, but I do think that it it is tough to put him on that list, but I do think we don't really know what he's going to bring each season. Yeah, I 
I disagree with him being on the list, and I and I, I agree with you. He's not the worst contract on the Blues in my mind. I mean, there's a reason we were talking about a guy named Marco Scandell being bought out. I mean, let's just be honest. He's paid about second-pairing defenseman money, and he's going to be on the third pairing this year. So I don't view Preco as even a top-ten bad contract because you look at the names on that list, like Eric Carlson's on that list. To me, he's he may not be living up to his full value, but it's not a top-ten worst contract in the NHL. And I, I wish I'd see a little bit more offense from Colton Preco, but the way he was put in and used last year, you're not going to get that from Colton Preco, being in the defensive zone a lot, as you heard Army saying. And honestly, I, I do view him more as a as a second-pairing defenseman guy because I think he relies a lot on who his partner is. And we heard Alex mention that a lot with us in the regular season where it was, okay, well, who was his partner? It was Marco Scandella. It was uh, Nico Mikola. And now when he when he brought Nick Letty in, he kind of, you saw his numbers go up. I mean, there for a while, he was a minus on the ice. I know plus-minus kind of a not a stat to necessarily go by. But then I can remember at some point he had the best plus minus during a stretch in the NHL and it brought his number where he finished at a plus 16 last season. So I think he's a fine defenseman. I think he does have to rely on having a very good partner. That's why I'm going to be interested to see what this looks like with Nick Letty for four years now down the road. But I don't think he's a top 10 worst contract. And I agree. He's not the worst contract on the St. Louis Blues. I think he's a victim of the expectations that were placed upon him. If we just looked at Colton Pareko and said, hey, can this guy be a valuable commodity on the blue line? The answer to that is, of course, yes. If he was available on the open market this offseason and he was a left-handed defenseman and the Blues had Joe Smith, who was their right-handed defenseman that was in the exact same spot as Colton Pareko, we would have all been arguing for Colton Pareko to be signed by the Blues to fix their left-handed defense problems in that top four. The problem is he was sold as one thing, and he's kind of become another. As you mentioned, Hannah, early on in his career, he's a 25, 26-year-old defenseman who had, at that point, 35, 35, 28, and 28 points, respectively. Had double-digit goals back-to-back seasons. And now you look at what he's been the last couple of years, he's just not the same offensive force that he was early on. And instead of going forward in that respect, he's come back a little bit to the pack. So I think that hurts him in a lot of regards. I think the fact that the organization came out and so publicly stated after Alex Petrangelo left that he is the next guy the alpha on dog. the blue line. He, they specifically said he's the alpha in that group. I think that hurts him as well. I think his contract is fine. I don't think it's a valuable asset. Like if the Blues were trading it right now, I don't think there was a ton of teams that would be like, yes, we can get Colton Pareko at six and a half million dollars per year for the next eight years. But I think they would be okay with it. I think the contracts that are worse to me, A, Marco Scandella, as you mentioned, Tanner. I think that Jordan Bennington's value really rebounded with the way that he played in the playoffs. There is still every reason to be concerned about what that's going to be over the next five years, though. And then the one that I am really concerned about is the one that they just signed with Nick Letty, four years, $4 million per season, I think Nick Letty, much like Colton Pareko, is a fine defenseman. I am worried about a mid-30s player who relies almost entirely on his speed being a guy that's going to age well. That could, at the end of his deal, be very similar to what they're dealing with right now with Marco Scandella. So I would value all of those as worse contracts for the Blues right now than what Colton Pareko has. And this is something I looked at, and this is because I was looking at the way the Carolina Hurricanes improved their defense this offseason, which I thought was interesting, that they signed Brent Burns. And they and they took him on. He'll be paired with the Jacob Slavin. Brent Burns is on an $8 million contract at 37 years old, and he's consistently, yet again, put up 54 points as yeah. a defenseman this past season. 
He's making one and a half million dollars more than Colton Pareko. I think that's where it comes into play from like an offensive discrepancy there um, to where it's just a tough situation for an AAV in this coming next year. That's the difference there. And I think the way that Colton Pareko is marketed is like, hey, he might be a Victor Hedman type of player. He might be a Brent Burns type of player, you know, and he doesn't have, you know, the grit like a Brent Burns. But from an offensive standpoint is what I'm talking about. And because he hasn't met those standards, I think that's why people are saying, well, he's not even a consistent power play guy. He wasn't until players got injured late in the postseason, right? He wasn't even consistently playing on the power play. And so I think that there was just an overselling of him. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. And, and I think part of it, too, is you go by recent memory, too, when you when people think back on a player. And you remember Preko, uh the previous year, the shortened year pandemic, was dealing with that back injury, was not the same player. And then it gets off to the slow start last year, and it just becomes the snowball effect of, oh, Colton Prego's not going to be the same because he's dealing with a back injury and he'll never live up to that contract. And then you just kind of stick with that model. You don't really look at what he does from a jumping off point, because like I said, at some point, I think it was the midway point in the season, he takes off and ends up having that plus minus just skyrocket to where he becomes the, not the best defender in, in the NHL. I know some people clipped that. It wasn't us. Uh, <laughs> but uh, becoming a better defenseman to where you see that plus minus take off, and he really got rid of that notion of, okay, he's not very good because he's dealing with the back injury. But I think that still lingers in some people's head. And I know the advanced analytics aren't, the Blues just aren't an advanced analytic darling. They're, they're not. Everything about the St. Louis Blues screams, they're not good with advanced analytics. So I view Colton Pareko as just a fine defenseman. And I think that you just have to forget about that portion he dealt with where he dealt with the back injury and then the slow start he had last year. Because I do think it is part of the reason he had that was because of his pairing mate. I think he does rely on that pairing mate a lot. Somebody on the text line made a really interesting point. They say he's a victim of his size as well and his shot. When What Chris Pronger said, and he was on the morning show when he said that, is that People expect him to be pronger. They expect him to be that big, tough, menacing defenseman. And so when you see him on the ice, you expect one thing and you watch him and it's very different than what you're anticipating. And then the shot, you see it. The problem is he doesn't always know where it's going. And so he's hesitant to use it because it could end up going to the other end. And now you've got a three on one and it's not a good situation for Jordan Bennington and net. So. All of those things, the attributes, it's almost similar to Tyler O'Neill, where you see all of the tools before he broke out last season. You're like, why isn't this guy better? He's fast. He hits the ball really hard. He plays excellent defense. Everything is here. And for some reason, it's not he's not producing at the NHL level. I think some of that also plays against Colton Pareko as well. Right. And I do think when you look at like the sport of baseball, everything is solely analytics. When you look at the sport of hockey and Doug Armstrong talks about this all the time, they're not paying players just based on stats that they're putting up and the numbers that they're putting up, especially from a defensive standpoint, they're paying someone to carry the puck out of the zone. They're paying for Colton Pareko to be six, six and skate like the wind. They're paying for his, I don't even know how quick his slap shot was, but it's one of the top fastest in the leagues right now. The hardest slap shot in the league. So I think you're paying players for stats that you're not seeing on a stat sheet every single night. With Hannah and Tanner, I'm Brandon. I was. I've held it back a little bit. Uh, Coming up here in about 15 minutes, we're going to talk to Danny Mack, Cardinals broadcaster for Valley Sports Midwest. But next, we're going to get into some questions and answers. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. If you guys have any questions for us, we'll get into those next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe text now to 65780. It's PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. 
65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. Danny Mack will join us coming up here in about 10 minutes. We have Hannah Yates of KSDK in studio with us today. She'll be in a couple of days this week filling in for Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's get to some of your questions. Let's start with this from the 314. Hannah, I know you are a Mizzou fan. How do you feel about the Tigers for this upcoming season? We were just talking about this off air. We were talking about this. I'm excited. We actually had Brady Cook and Eli Drinkwitz in studio at KSDK recently. I think it's it's going to be really interesting. I'm really excited. I'm going to the season opener solely because I want to see Luther Burn Jr. And I think that's the storyline of this season. How does he do? How do players like Dominic Levette do? I think defense is still the question mark. What we see there, I don't know. And we also don't know who the starting quarterback is going to be. I was excited. I will say I would have supported Sam Horn's decisions, whether he went in the MLB draft <laughs> or whatever. I was happy to see that he is remaining in Missouri Tiger for the time being. Um, and I think I think they're going to be good. I think they've got a chance they to be chance. good. I am very worried about the quarterback situation. I liked what we saw from Brady Cook in the bowl game. I thought he looked really good but it was against army and I don't know what that looks like against SEC defenses. So I don't know what to make of that. He's got good receivers. We know that they're talented at a minimum. The offensive line should be pretty good. The defensive line, they've put crazy amounts of resources into that. So that should be better this year, but they've got a really tough schedule. K state is early on and we'll know everything we need to know after that game because K state's going to be a really good team this year. I'm optimistic, but I'm also a Mizzou fan and I'm just kind of waiting on the other shoe to drop. It's a blessing and a curse. Yeah. Tanner, are you excited about Mizzou football this nah, year? No, All right, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 314. Guys, why does everybody act like the Cardinals have a real chance with uh, Juan Soto? Do you give them a reasonable chance to be able to acquire him? Hannah, we haven't talked about this with you. Do you think they're not should they? Do you think they will no. acquire Juan Soto? Okay. I have been out for the count. I, I feel like I've remained out of these discussions solely because I'm like, I don't understand why we're even discussing this. And maybe that's too hot of a take. But I'm at the point where I'm like, there's no way this team is acquiring the pitching they need and getting Juan Soto. And there's no way that they would make a move for Juan Soto before they made a move for starting pitching. I thought there was maybe a chance before, like when Mads came back, I thought, okay, maybe they can sell themselves on. That's our number three. What the hell? Let's go get Juan Soto. Now that Mads has torn his MCL and out, at least till mid-September, I think it is essentially, yeah, they desperately need pitching. And I I can't see them really getting in on the Soto sweepstakes because it's probably going to include Jordan Walker. And as you heard Jim Bowden say, he thinks he's the best prospect in all of baseball. Even though he's not ranked that, still thinks he is the best prospect in baseball. I go back and forth every other day on this. One day I think they're going to trade for Juan Soto. Like, I can't believe it. And then you go, they're, they're getting Mike Trout. <laughs> yeah, that that feels more likely to me, actually. Um, I, I still give it like a 15% chance. I'm not sure. I continue to be skeptical of the Nationals trading him in season. I'm not even sure this gets done by the deadline. I think this ends up. I remember this was probably, what, five years ago now. The Nationals, right before the deadline, were having conversations, I think it was with the Astros at the time, about trading Bryce Harper, and it was his walk here. And everybody was like, hey, this sounds crazy, but it actually might be the best thing for them long-term to trade Bryce Harper now if they don't think they're going to resign him. They didn't end up doing so, and now you look back on it, and you're like, maybe they should have traded him at the deadline to be able to get something more significant. 
I think that ends up being what this is. But of course, there's two years left on the contract for Soto. I think the conversations right now could set up offseason talks about where he ends up going in the offseason. You still got two years of control. I think they end up sell- trading him and, after the season. And ends. I'm with you. I'm very skeptical that he just gets dealt in general because do you, the ownership group currently, do they want to be the team that says the ownership group that sold, sold Juan Soto? And then if the new ownership group comes in, do they want to be their first move being, yeah, we're going to trade Juan Soto? I remember, I can't remember who was that said this, but when Derek Jeter's group bought the Marlins, they thought the worst decision he made for that franchise was selling off every piece that they had and Yelich, Ozuna, and Stanton because what did it do? It set a tone for the franchise of here we go again. They're not yep. really going to continue to build those assets and they really haven't since then. And now they do have some of those assets and people still view them the same way because yeah. of what it started with whenever the Derek Jeter front yeah. office came in. That's an interesting way to look at it as well. Coming up here in about 15 minutes, we're diving into a game of bet it or forget it. If you've got a scenario, send them in on the text line. 65780 is the air comfort service text line. We will give you our bet it's or forget it's coming up at 1215. Danny Mac joins us live from Toronto coming up next. There's going to be a super interesting lineup construction over the next couple of days. They've got to get creative with a couple of big guns out what does dan make of their opportunities in toronto could this end up in a weird way becoming a jumping off point for the cardinals talk about it next year on 101 espn we're right back to the pk and ferrario podcast presented by dobbs tire and auto centers on 101 espn Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Always happy to go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line to be joined by our friend Danny Mack. He's the Cardinals broadcaster for Bally Sports Midwest. You can always check out his work over on scoopswithdannymack.com. One of my favorite podcasts to listen to each and every Friday before I'm coming into the show is Dan and Ben Fred with Ben Fred Fridays. Dan, we appreciate the time as always. How you doing up in Toronto today, man? I'm doing well. How about you guys? Uh, doing very well. Let's start with this, Dan. What do you think the lineup's going to look like today? Ooh, that's a good question. Uh, let's see. Maybe a little Brendan Donovan at third, Albert at first. I'd probably look at that. Uh, your outfield would be O'Neill Carlson. Um, who you got in right? Who do you want to play in right? Let's let's think about this. I'm assuming um, it will be one of Newt or Dickerson with the other probably starting at DH. Yeah, I could see <laughs> that. Um, obviously, you're going to be missing uh, the two big guys, which has been well documented. So I got Kisner behind the plate. I got Tommy Edmond and uh, Sosa up the middle. Maybe that's your lineup. And then uh, put it all in a jar, and whatever comes out first, that's the best lead off, and juggle it up and have a little fun with it. Dan, how confident are you in this lineup offensively today without Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arnato? Um, to borrow a phrase from the great John Mosaloc, not great. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, we're talking about two guys that are MVP candidates and they're not going to be in the lineup. And I, I think, you know, when you have looked at the Cardinals' success when they've had it this year, it's been, you know, a combination of Edmund Donovan getting on base prior to one of these guys bringing you in. And so they have really accounted for a ton of your offense. And so um, it's one of those things, though, I think that Ollie will treat it, and I bet the players treat it as well, is like, hey, we're undermanned, but let's have a little fun with it. And baseball can be a crazy game, but 
let's uh, let's just get after it and have some fun and see what happens. And it's going to be tough because they've got Barrios tonight. You got Gosman tomorrow, so you're talking about you know two of the the better pitchers that they can throw at you when they're right. So um, you know to answer your question, Hannah, it's 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 not ideal. Clearly, it's not, but. Uh, it's something that I think you can have a little fun with and, uh, and it's only two games and then get out of here and regroup on Friday night in Washington. So Dan, I remember when Kansas city went up to Toronto and they were without, I think it was 10 players on their roster because of the COVID restrictions. I think they had eight guys make their major league debuts and they ended up winning game one of that series in Toronto. This might sound like a super strange question and it's looking for a positive in what is obviously a not great situation for the Cardinals. As you mentioned, if they were to somehow and just walk down this path with me, Dan, if they were to somehow find a way to win these two games, obviously undermanned, do you think it's possible that could be seen as a rallying moment for this team? Sure. Uh, absolutely. I, I think anytime that you look at a season that's this long, I, I think you look at games or even series and you say, well, that's when it all kind of clicked. And that's when maybe this player emerged when they were shorthanded and it gave him a boost of confidence. And then all of a sudden, you know, he took off. Like, I'll give you an example, um, you know, that it puts a lot of pressure on Tyler O'Neill for this two-game stretch. You know, if you're looking for the guy that's going to come through, or another one would be Dylan Carlson, or maybe get Tommy Edmond back to where he was, you know, any group of these players. But if somebody steps up and all of a sudden takes off, um, I'm with you. You know, that's something where you say, hey, that's when this guy took off. And that was the point in which – you know, they were looking for somebody to step up and he did step up. And then all of a sudden the other two returned and this guy didn't stop and continue to play the way that he, that uh, he performed in Toronto. So I'm with you. I, I think you can have those kind of things. And certainly that happens for when you take off, but also can be a part of where you look back on a season and you say, that's when it went the other way. It, it happens all the time. So sure. To answer your question or to, to agree with your statement. Yeah. I, I, I do think that that can happen for sure. Dan, it's been reported that Yadier Molina will be returning to the Cardinals lineup in the first week of August, which is a brighter note that's coming very soon. What do you think that fans can expect to see from him both physically and mentally in his return? Only he can answer that. But I, you know, I I think it'll be a, a jolt for the organization to get him back because he does still handle the the pitching staff very, very well. And he still is able to buy you strikes, especially with a a pitching staff that doesn't get a lot of swing and miss and they need to live down in the zone. And he's really good at buying you strikes down in the zone where the other two have struggled in that regard. So I think that's a plus. Now, what does he have in terms of what you're going to get um, offensively, I, I don't know. Honestly, um, I, I just don't know because we haven't seen, you know, what uh, what he's looking like. So I guess we'll get a better idea here in the next day or two. But I think he could roll out of bed when he's 60 and still throw somebody out um, because he's so good defensively. So that will be a plus for this team. I also think that the final two months, knowing that this is it, uh, the crowds that we'll probably have, especially at home, will energize him. And I think he's going to be thrust right into a pennant race. You know, this team is right in the thick of things when you think about whether it's the, you know, the division or the wild card. And uh, also the other part of this that I think is going to be interesting is that next Tuesday, 
a week from today at six o'clock. Uh, so the clock is ticking. The trade deadline comes to a close. So um, we'll see what, what guys they add and, and see what kind of boost that uh, not only Yachty gives them, but the, the players that they have the potential to add because they do, they, they need to add some pitching. They need to find maybe some relief help if they can, somebody that'll take the ball every day. Um, you know, we'll see if they go out and get a lime soda, who knows, but those kind of things do seem to have a way of energizing a ball club. So I, I think that could happen with Yachty for sure. Dan, do you think they have a real shot at Juan Soto? Sure. Why not? Um, I they, like it. They definitely have the pieces. I now, are they going to pull the trigger on it? Um, I, I don't know. I mean, typically, I, I mean, we haven't seen a player like this come along. Now, when you're acquiring Matt Holiday or you're looking at, you know, signing a Carlos Beltran or a Berkman, which the Cardinals have done, don't get me wrong, really, really outstanding players. And Holiday was awesome in St. Louis for seven and a half years. But we're talking about a guy, when you look at his age and the amount of at-bats that he's had, the games he's played in, I mean, we're talking truly one of the, the five or ten greatest hitters, at least right now, in his age, that's ever played the game. So, um, has you know, I, I haven't seen the Cardinals necessarily go out and make a move like this. Um, they've had big ones, but not necessarily this big. And the thing is, would be, you know, number one, do you want to pay him beyond the two and a half year? You know, you're going to have him for three pennant races, which is pretty cool. You'd get him this year, then two more. And then to sign him, obviously, would take a bundle of money. You know, you're talking probably half a billion dollars. That's pretty uncomfortable, I would assume, if you're any management team to want to do that. But the the big question is, do they have the pieces to do it? And looking at it in terms of, you know, your Mason wins and Walker and Tink Hintz and, you know, McGreevy and all these different guys that you hear about, do they have the pieces? I would think absolutely they do. It's just a matter of if they want to pull the trigger and do it. And Dan, follow-up question on that, because I, I think we're on the same page there. I, I also sometimes brush back on the notion that this is not a Cardinals move, because I, like you mentioned, Dan, we, we've never seen this become available. Like, would John Mosellock be interested in a generational 23-year-old player? I, I would assume so. I think it depends on the price, of course. But, of course, everybody's interested in a 23-year-old generational talent. The question, though, that I have as a follow-up to that, Dan, is, what about the pitching? Like, if you ended up going out there and making a move for Juan Soto, do you also get a starting pitcher? Or what does that mean for you in terms of where your rotation's at? Yeah, I, that's the thing that I'm looking at. Now, you're, you're going to get Dakota Hudson back. Uh, I think this weekend we'll probably see him back. And you're, you're lucky now because you have these off days um, yesterday, and then you'll have another one Thursday, you have another one on Monday, so you can kind of manipulate this thing for a little bit, but uh, generally speaking, whether or not they go out and get Juan Soto or another bat or another player, position player, I think they need pitching. They need to get pitching help, um, and you can't count on Flaherty coming back because you just don't know about that. Now you've lost Steven Matz, which really stinks because I thought he looked awesome the other night. Um, and so where are you going to go and how are you going to be able to do that and, and still survive? And so I think generally speaking, again, I think they, they've got to look at the, the pitching staff and trying to upgrade that some way, somehow, I, I would love to see a veteran that is available to take the ball every day in their bullpen, because when you look at it, you know, Helsley is, is hit and miss at times with that because he's, he's throwing so hard. He's a unique case. 
Gio has had his ups and downs. Um, I think it's getting better. I love what I'm seeing out of Thompson and some of the others, but getting that, that stabilized guy, or maybe it's somebody like an Andre Pallante going back to uh, the bullpen. And, and that is because all of a sudden you're able to acquire a starter and that helps you out. So there's a lot of different ways I could see it and scenarios that unfold, but to the greater picture, I do think that they need some pitching before uh, the cherry deadline comes and goes. Dan will be watching tonight to see how all of this unfolds up in Toronto over on Bally sports Midwest. First pitch coming up at six o'clock. We appreciate the time as always, man. We'll talk with you again next week. Okay, guys. Have a good one. Thank you. Absolutely. Same to you. That's Danny Mac joining us here on 101 ESPN. I think everybody's on the same page. Like, does this team need pitching? Of course. Like, yes, they, we're all watching the games. We can see it every night. Your number five starter right now, the manager told the media the other day, he's not here. That That is what he actually, he was asked, who is your number five starter when you need one again? He said, well, he's not here right now. Okay, that's not ideal. He's a member. <laughs> no, he's literally not in the organization right now. And I think all of us would agree with that. The problem is there was a piece on MLB.com earlier today on the pitching market. And Mike Petriello, who we love on the show, friend of the show, made the argument that this is one of the five worst pitching markets going into the trade deadline of the last 30 years. Like it is atrocious in terms of the the starting pitchers that are potentially going to be moved at the deadline. So there's just not a lot of options. And what that means, we all know the supply and demand thing. When there's not a whole lot of options, there's a ton of demand for starters because so many teams have injuries in their rotations. The prices for guys like Martin Perez or Chad Cool, who are like they they are not the same name. They are not the same player. They go about it a little bit differently, but they're Dakota Hudson for other teams. That's what they are. And some of them have gotten more or less lucky than Dakota Hudson has here in St. Louis. But that's what you're adding is a number four starter who at times looks better than that. Do you really want to give up significant resources for that guy? The answer is no. But that might be what they're forced to do if they go down the starting pitching market. Well, that's why I liked the Lopez conversation, because it sounded like a one for one deal, right? You're not giving up a bunch of your talent from the farm system. You're not giving up two of your roster players. You're not giving up a Nolan Gorman. So I think it comes down to what you would have to sacrifice for a player like this, because like you said, if the half the guys on this list have shoulder inflammation (laughs) or they haven't, you know, they're pulled from a start like that's not a situation you want to enter and be giving up prospects for that. Yeah, and I just don't want someone that's equal to a Dakota Hudson. That's why when I like look at some of the list of those guys that are on that trading market, I think MLB now <sighs> released a list of like pitchers that were available. I went, Ugh, that's not great. I wouldn't want it. Here's your list: Martin Perez, eh. Jose Quintana, no, Drew Smiley, no, Chad Cool, no, the ghost of Noah Syndergaard. Eh. <laughs> like he, Noah Syndergaard is the best pitcher on that list in terms of the stuff that he has, and his stuff's diminished. And he's throwing like 94 now instead of 99. And his the, the craziest part, his changeup is 10 miles per hour lower than it was previously when we saw him with the Mets. He's the fourth guy in your rotation at this point. He's just, he's not the same guy. So yeah, to your point, Tanner, it ain't great out there. No, and I would not want to get in a bidding war for someone that is equal to a Dakota Hudson and basically on that list. With Hannah Yates and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Big thanks to Danny Mack for joining us. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, I always listen closely when Jamie Rivers floats a potential acquisition for the Blues. He mentioned one yesterday towards the end of the fast lane. 
Maybe this is the pivot that Doug Armstrong has for Matthew Kachuk. We'll talk about that coming up in 15 minutes. Better to forget it. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line coming up next. You're on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Vegas sets them up and we're here to make the call. It's PK and Ferrario's bet it or forget it on 101 ESPN. Comfort service text line for bet it or forget it. If you guys have a scenario, we will tell you if we are betting it or forgetting it. Let's start with this one from the 314. Guys, bet it or forget it. Mizzou wins at least eight games in football this year. Eight games, Hannah. Are you betting it or forgetting it? I always take the bet on Mizzou football. I will take the bet until I die on Mizzou I don't understand how you are still optimistic about Mizzou sports. I feel like by the end of the season, I'm so drained. And I was like, I'm hopping off the bandwagon. And then here it comes. Time for the season. I'm back on. I That's where I'm at. It. But I will say this year, how can you not bet? I mean, you have Luther Burn Jr. Have you seen the schedule? If Sam Horn is great, I have seen the schedule. And yes, it's tough, but there's always <laughs> some toss ups there. Hey, it's all about hope, big boy. It's all about hope. Well, we've got Louisiana Tech. That'll be That's good. A that, loss. That's going to. Hey. Enough of you over there, peanut gallery. Uh, Abilene Christian, feel good about that one. Another freebie, just like SEMO. Vandy, (laughs) like that one. Like their chances against New Mexico State, so you got four built-in wins. I don't think it'll be New Mexico State. K-State's can be tough. I'm not feeling good about that one currently. Auburn could literally be anything this year. I have no idea what to expect out Mm. of them. They could be a complete dumpster fire, and their coach might be fired midway through the season. But they also have crazy amounts of talent. And so if they rebound this year, you could lose that game 42 to six down in Auburn and it wouldn't shock anybody. Georgia, Florida, Tennessee is going to be good. Kentucky has an NFL quarterback on their roster. I don't know what to expect out of Arkansas this year. And South Carolina is your pure program. I think they can beat Arkansas. I think they can. They should. I don't know what to expect, though. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say I forget it. I think seven and five is where I'm at for this year. It's tough, but it's fair. I'm going to forget it because I just don't want to see him win eight games. Oh, my gosh. All right, man. Come on. We don't need Tiger that. Tiger hater in the room. Yeah. Illinois football. Under. Four wins. Six, five, seven, eight. That's, <laughs> never mind. That sounds about <laughs> yeah, right to under, me. Under right. Better to forget it. A team from the AFC West. So the Chiefs, the Chargers, the Broncos, or the Raiders will win the Super Bowl this year. I'm going to forget that as, as great as that count or that division is, I think Buffalo is the team I'm keeping an eye on in the AFC. This the feels favorite like right now. They're the betting. Favorite. I, I, I think this is their year. I think this is the year. Allen gets them over the top. I think that experience against Kansas city last year helped them. I think Kansas city took a step back losing Tyree kill, of course. And then Come I'm on, just, man. I'm sorry. I'm just not convinced on the chargers just because I haven't seen them go on that playoff run. I think they got a talented roster and I really like Justin Herbert. I can't see them go on the run. I, Vegas to me is the worst team in that division. And then Denver, I just don't know what to know what Russell Wilson's going to be. So I can't see one of those four teams winning the Super Bowl. I'll leave it as well. I'm going off of that. I think you don't know with the quarterback, with the Chargers. I think that's tough. I think with the Broncos, it'll be interesting since they'll play more of that pass offense for Russell Wilson to see if he likes that more. Um, But I think the Chiefs did take a little bit of a step back. And I can tell that you're not feeling that way, but I don't see them dominating and taking the Super Bowl this year. Yeah, we're going to learn Mahomes was a product of Hill. Okay, enough of that. That's that's absurd. I do think that the Chiefs, for what it's worth, will take a step back this year. I still think that they are one of the 
three best teams in the AFC. I just don't think it's clear cut that they're the best. I think that going into the favorite, the Bills are and should be the favorite in the in the AFC. So I'm going to forget this as well. I I'm always going to take the field. When you have the Bucks, you have the Rams in the NFC. I think they are real threats. I really like going into the year what the Bills are. And I think that the Ravens are a team that people are sleeping on. That Lamar Jackson being in this spot is really interesting to me. He was hurt all of last year. They still won eight games. I think that team is going to be really good this year. So I'm going to forget that the Super Bowl winner eventually comes out of the AFC as uh, AFC West, rather as surprising as that might be for some. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line for bet it or forget it, guys. Better to forget it. One of Rodon or Pablo Lopez or Nathan Avaldi ends up traded at the deadline. At least one of Avaldi, Rondon, Rondon, Rodon. I got it on the third try. Or Pablo Lopez are traded. (laughs) Uh. So one of those top end starters ends up getting traded at the deadline. Better to forget it. I'm going to forget it. As much as I like the Cardinals in on Pablo Lopez, I don't see Miami moving him till the offseason. I don't think Rodon's going to get moved. And I'm not... The Red Sox are the biggest wild card to me because Evaldi would make sense to deal, but he's kind of having a down year. He also feels very Cardinals-y. Yeah, um... But I'm going to forget it. I think Boston will hold on to him. I think Rodon will be held on to. San Francisco, I think, still trying to get into the playoffs and go on a run. And then I, I just can't see Miami selling Lopez just yet, especially if they're looking for a major league ready center fielder. I mean, the perfect match is the Cardinals and Bader or Carlson, but I don't think they're going to part with them this year. So I'm going to forget this. I'm going to bet it. I'm going to do it. I think the the difference in the playoff formats will, will kind of change the way that general managers look at this deadline. Um, and I, yeah, I just see, I think there, if there's a good offer out there, I think that teams have more of a chance to make it. I think that, I think there'll be sellers and I, I'm going to bet it. I, the one that I'm really curious on is Lopez because the Marlins, I, I don't think that they have any chance of really contending this year. And I think they know that internally, but why are you selling Pablo Lopez right now I guess that would be my question unless you have real concerns about his injury history and what that means for his future you're just trying to sell high (laughs) yeah for sure if you're a Cardinals fan like it's almost more concerning that they're trading this guy right now I think you sell him because he becomes the number one guy on the market maybe and you just think think, you could get a King's Ransom I think he's better than Luis Castile and and I, I, I do I think if you put him on the market and you called and said I don't know how trading works by GMs but they said hey Pablo Lopez on the market I think a lot of teams would go oh more club control for Pablo Lopez. Maybe we shift towards him instead of Luis Castillo. Boston's three and thirteen in their last sixteen games. Oh, they stink. They're gonna sell. The Giants are eleven and twenty-one over the last five weeks. They have one of. I've been watching more Giants baseball lately because of Rodon. <laughs> they are awful defensively. I mean, atrocious. It's it's shocking. Every night there is a play that is not made where it's like. Ha- I don't understand or like base running mistakes. It's weird to watch them right now. I think one of those two teams ends up selling. If I had to guess, I'm with you guys. I think it's Boston. And I think Nathan Avaldi ends up getting traded. He's yep. a free agent at the end of the season. He is a guy who's having a good, not great season. He's had playoff success in the past. I think you could get him a decent return. That is more than what they would get for the comp pick if they ended up uh, doing the qualifying offer with him. I think Nathan Avaldi is a name that we should probably hone in on throughout the rest of the week because he's 32. Again, that playoff experience feels like something that the Cardinals would 
value. He feels like a real possibility for the cards if he ends up being dealt. Because I don't think it would be an outlandish ask. Right. Starts tomorrow, too. So we can get a look at him. That that one makes a lot of sense. I would circle that start for him. 65780 is the, the air comfort service text line to get involved in the show. Last one here. Guys, better to forget it. The Cardinals win at least one game in Toronto. Who wants to be come negative? On. Who wants to I'll go come first. On. I'll bet it. Come on. Say, They're going to win at okay. least one. I'll bet it. You want to be negative first or should I? I mean, at least all you have on the other side the next two nights for pitching is, you know, Kevin Gossman, who's outstanding, and uh, Jose Barrios, who's also outstanding. But he's been bad this year. Yeah. So you're saying there's Till a change. I'm going to bet it. I'm going with Hannah. See? I can't My favorite it. manager, Mike Schilt, once said, you live longer if you're optimistic. Yeah, but I'm going to be optimistic. And I'm going to be optimistic about this one. I'm going to be optimistic on something else, so I'm going to forget this one. I think this is a sweep, and I just say they score like two runs in this whole two game set. Wow. Oh, good. All right. Well, that'll be and super that's fun better than about. zero. How about a little bit of encouraging sign? Solo shot from Gorman, solo shot from O'Neill. Make you feel a little bit better All about right. it. They got two righties on the mound. That makes yeah. sense. Coming up in 15 minutes, we're going to dive into the junk drawer, but next. When Jamie Rivers floats that there's a possibility of what the Blues could be doing personnel-wise, I've always got my ears perked up. He mentioned one player that could be a pivot for the Blues in response to not getting Matthew Kachuk yesterday. I think this is worth your time. We'll let you hear what he had to say yesterday. Give our reaction to the possibility coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. With Hannah Yates and Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Buster Olney joining the show coming up at one o'clock. But yesterday I was listening to the fast lane. And anytime BT says something about the Cardinals, it perks my ears up. Anytime Jamie says something about the Blues, I'm like, hey, interesting. And yesterday, Jamie brought up the possibility of how the Blues could pivot off of missing out on Matthew Kachuk. I found this to be super interesting, and I think everybody needs to hear it. So here's what he had to say yesterday on the fast lane. Doug Armstrong, I don't, not that there's a blockbuster deal out there, but something will go down before the beginning of the season because the Blues have to. So now does Army spin that into a big deal? Does it, Does he, you know, say screw it and try to make a blockbuster deal? Possibly. David Pasternak. It's in, it's intriguing. As somebody asked, what's a pasta trade look like? Well, it would be Tarasenko. It would be Tarasenko for David Pasternak. That's now, what the trade would be. Now, I think that the Blues would probably have to include more in that deal. I think it would be more than just... Tarasenko straight up for David Pasternak. And I'm sure there are some in the audience right now that are saying, why in the world would the Boston Bruins trade a 26-year-old who over the last five seasons when he's been healthy and they've played a full season is a walking, breathing 35-goal machine? Like every year, you can just write it in stone. David Pasternak's going to score you at least 35 goals and he's going to be excellent on the power play. He's a top 10 power play unit by himself, basically. Well, it's the final year of his deal. $6.7 million is what he's expected to be paid this year. The Boston Bruins have some serious cap crunch issues that are going on right now. They've still got to figure out what they're doing with Krejci. They've still got to figure out what they're going to do with who's their other free agent that they've got right now. Bergeron. They they've got some questions about what the future holds for that team internally. 
And David Posternock, there are internal questions about whether or not he's going to resign. So it's basically the same question for them as it is here in St. Louis with Vladimir Tarasenko. Are you going to be able to keep him long term or do you flip him for somebody that you could keep long term? They also just hired Jim Montgomery, who was here last year. He has been with Vladimir Tarasenko. Nobody knows Vladdy in terms of coaches from other teams better than Jim Montgomery does. I don't know if that's good or bad for the Blues. That could go either direction, but it's possible he really likes Vladdy and would like to build around Vladimir Tarasenko. My guess, Hannah, Vladdy would love to go to Boston. It's a winning organization. It's on the East Coast. It's in a pretty good-sized market. Feels like a good fit for Vladdy, so I don't think that the no-trade clause would be an issue in that regard. If we operate under the assumption that Pasternak would at least be okay with coming here to St. Louis, because he could say no. What do you think about this possibility that Jamie floated yesterday? I have multiple thoughts on this. So they're in the same type of situation in terms of their contract, right? So it's not like you're freeing up space for Boston by sending Vladdy there. Like you're not necessarily helping them in this situation. And who's to say that Pasternak wants to stay in St. Louis after next season. So you're really looking at this as a one-year deal, right? I mean, from my perspective, because there's what a 95% chance you're probably going to lose Vladimir Tarasenko after this season. We, when he becomes an unrestricted free agent anyways. So you're kind of looking at this situation the same way, hoping that maybe he would want to stay here. They're pretty even in terms of points. Vladdy actually had a higher point season than Pasternak did. He had 82 points. Pasternak had a 40 goal. 77 point season they're the same position so you fill that gap there anyone trying to say it's a pivot off of Matthew Kachuk I think that's the word to use because it's not even remotely the same type of player as a Matthew Kachuk that's what he was trying to target but I do think that you have to you're not elevating this team though I think that's what I look at from this because what I'm saying is okay they were going to have a Matthew Kachuk maybe Vladdy was in that package So you're willing to get rid of that. You're keeping Matthew long term. It's not elevating them for seasons to come by doing this. So Doug Armstrong has to determine, Okay, am I just doing this for this season? Am I doing this for years to come? And I think he would have to determine that predetermine that ahead of time. Um, I think that's part of the problem there. And I don't think it's elevating the Blues to a next level, pushing them further in the playoffs with this type of trade. So you just you're you're basically just doing a trade off of what you think is important right now. I, I I like the idea because I think it makes the team better on paper than what it is right now. I don't know if it would be in terms of, if you look at the team, if you get Pasternak on any move, Vladdy, I still don't know if they would be as good as they were last year by season's end because of the loss of David Perron, and you're not really replacing that production. You're improving production-wise over Tarasenko just a little bit, in my opinion, because I think Pasternak is the better player. And I said this yesterday in uh, what we were texting back and forth, BK, was this is kind of, it's not the same thing, but it's kind of the same thought process that Florida had when they moved Huberdeau, a 100-point-plus player, for Kachuk, a 100-point-plus player, where it is, okay, two kind of equal players when you look at points production, but one is younger. And the hope would be that if you get Pasternak that you're going to get him locked up long-term, and then you kind of get rid of that aging curve when it comes to a contract extension. And honestly, Vladdy probably not signing a contract extension, as right. we know with that trade request that he still has, apparently. So I like the idea, but I probably don't... Honestly, I like the idea whether he would re-sign or not because if I bring in David Pasternak, I think he's the better player, just by not by a whole lot, by a little bit from what you got from Vladimir Tarasenko last year. And honestly, if you can lock him up long-term to a contract extension, then I think you really look at his... If, if this is the trade scenario, I think you say you won that trade because you get a younger version of 
a little bit better player than what Vladimir Tarasenko was when he's healthy, and you get him locked up to a contract extension long term. And I mean, he's what five years younger, three years younger than Vladdy. So you also have an extra what three, four years in his prime compared to what Vladdy, what you have in Vladdy, if you were quote unquote to re-sign him. I think it makes a lot of sense if they believe that Vladimir Tarasenko is just completely ready to get out of here. Right. And if this is just a change of scenery for both guys where Pasternak wants out of Boston and he's just kind of done there. And I don't know that to be true, but if that is the case and if Vladdy's in the same spot here, okay, I get it. The other thing that it does is Vladimir Tarasenko, while a great goal scorer, is not the same power play threat that David Perron is. And right now you've got a big time hole on that top unit where where you used to have David Perron. And I don't know who's going to fill it. I think they would like to see what Jordan Cairo looks like there. Again, not the same kind of player in mm-hmm. that role with the one-timer that you had with David Perron. I do think David Posternock, though, could fill that capacity. And so you are kind of filling one of the holes that you had. In terms of the actual production, I'm hoping that Vladimir Tarasenko this year is something similar to what you're expecting out of Pasternak. I do tend to agree with you there, Hannah. But I think this is all about, do you think that your roster becomes better all around by bringing in Pasternak? And I just don't know. Like, I know that's a terrible opinion to have on the radio. I don't know if you're better with Pasternak than you are with Vladimir Tarasenko. But I think that you at least, I don't think he would resign here. I think you have a possibility. It's more than a 1% chance with him. And I think with Vladimir Tarasenko, you're at a 0% chance. So if you could trade for the opportunity to re-sign a guy that every year is going to be 30 plus goals and he's excellent on the power play and it helps you improve in that area where you're potentially going to be missing out on a guy that had, I think it was 15 goals on the power play last year with David Perron. I would be interested in doing that as long as you're not throwing in a ton on top of Vladdy. If they're asking for Jake neighbors, yeah, I'm not doing that move. If they're asking for bull Duke, not doing that move. But if you want to pick sure, I could consider that if you want one of the goalie prospects that the blues have in the organization right now, I would consider doing something like that. It's just a matter of what you have to add on to sweeten the pot on top of Vladimir Tarasenko. Right. I think if it's a pick, no problem. But at that point, it's more of a one-for-one trade. I mean, just based on the statistics, based on what I'm looking at, maybe you would have a lower-end pick or something like that. Um, But yeah, I think that it just goes back to what you were saying is if there's a chance for Pasternak to want to stay in St. Louis and have that extension, that's really what you're banking on because there's really no drastic upside. He is better in certain aspects than Vladimir Tarasenko, but it's not a large enough margin to where it's like, oh, this is a giant uh, leap for the team this year. It's just you don't look at it that way. The other thing it does is if like if we go down the scenario of the Blues are able to re-sign David Pasternak, He's going to get eight plus million dollars per year. That's what these guys end up costing. I do wonder what that means for the rest of their team building. Like there's already a cap crunch for next year. I know that a lot of the times I I fall into this trap. We look at what the cap situation looks like for right now. Next year is going to be super interesting for this team and what they have to do. They're going to have to unload somebody. I don't know if it's going to be Krug. Don't know if it's going to be somebody more in that like four to six million dollar range. Maybe it ends up being they're finally able to get that Scandella contract off the books. I don't know. But if they add in another $8 million deal in Pasternak, it probably means no either Ryan O'Reilly or Jordan Cairo. Like at least one of those two guys is likely not back next year. And so is that something you're willing 
to give up in order for the rights to keep David Posternock in town. I, I don't know if that's something that Doug Armstrong would be interested or not. Yeah, I think it's a tough situation because we don't really have solidity on either of Ryan O'Reilly and Jordan Cairo both returning. But I will say this. I think people are throwing out a lot of numbers on Jordan Cairo and what's expected for him to remain a St. Louis Blue next season in that long-term contract. And I do expect it to be a longer term, but I don't think it's going to be or needs to be as high of a contract value that people are expecting to maybe see. I thought Robert Thomas contract, I thought that was high in my opinion. And he has a lot of upside and he could end up being a 90 or 100 point player. But to say he wouldn't take a million less, I don't know. From that, I don't think Jordan Cairo is going to have anything remotely close in my opinion. I think it'll be it'll be quite a bit less than that. And so I think you have to look at that situation, but I do think Ryan O'Reilly, you have him at in older age next year. It'll be interesting to see mm-hmm. what he does because when he signed his contract, he was what, 24, 25 years old. And now he's in his thirties looking at this. I mean, how much of an upgrade would you have to give him? I think there's some wiggle room that Doug Armstrong could probably find. Yeah. It's going to be very tough. Cause we were, I think we were like kind of just doing the quick math in the office with a posture, $8 million contract and just filling in those gaps before you even get to the O'Reilly and the Cairo contract extension, and you figure you had $4 million left. So even if you acquire Pasternak and you get all the other f- gaps filled, whatever the extension is going to be for Cairo or O'Reilly, you are going to have to move a Krug or someone like that to clear up that cap space. Yeah, I I just find Cairo to be the biggest wildcard because I thought for sure that he was going to be a guy that they would want to trade and be willing to move on from him to go get Matthew Kachuk. And it turns out he apparently wasn't even on the table. So I, I'm not sure how the Blues view Jordan Cairo because I feel like he's just a big X factor right now. Like, I don't know what I'm going to get from Jordan Cairo next right. year. I think he's a really good player. I think he can have the potential to be, I've said it before, better than what Vladdy was in his prime here in St. Louis. But because of his defensive lapses and him not really sometimes, I mean, we saw in the second half just go completely cold. It's hard to look at him and say, okay, that's a long-term guy that we should focus on re-signing. To me, I view him more as a guy that is closer to being trade bait than he is to being a guy that is locked up long-term. Coming up in 15 minutes, we're going to talk more about the trade deadline with Buster only. I think he's one of the best insiders in the country. Always enjoy catching up with Buster. We'll do that coming up at 1 o'clock. The Junk Shore, though, coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Together Credit Union. Pay yourself with every purchase. Open and achieve a checking account today. seen iRobot? No. The movie iRobot? Um, with Will Smith? I don't know if I have. So, have you ever seen any movies in which the robots take over and the humans have to try to fight back? Kind of the concept of Terminator, <laughs> yeah. There you go. Yeah, good point. <laughs> and that would have been a better reference there. Good point. So, the reason I bring that up is we're diving into the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. Buster only joining the show coming up here in a little less than 10 minutes. I don't know if you've seen this story, but last week, a chess robot. Yep, I knew you are going here. Broke a seven-year-old boy's finger during a match at the Moscow Chess Open. Now, here are some more details. There is food footage of this incident. It shows that the robot, with its, quote, large mechanical arm, 
was playing three simultaneous matches against various opponents. One opponent, the boy who is in question here, reaches to move one of his pieces and the robot grabs his finger. It did not appear to make any, quote, severe twisting or other movements after grabbing the uh, the finger. Several adults rushed forward soon after the incident and freed the boy's hand, but not before the robot had already broken the child's finger. That's terrifying. I saw another video recently. You remember those dogs that are kind of prowling around that are robot dogs? Now they're attached to machine guns on their back. Don't feel like I needed to see that one. I am. What are we doing here? I'm just terrified. I can't imagine. Has How anybody hard never does seen that a movie? robot grip to break your finger, first of all? That's the first thought that came to my mind. What is it programmed to do? I just don't understand. Like, did we need a robot to play chess? No, we, we couldn't just no. be playing chess against each other. I don't understand. Why was there a robot there in the first place? Honestly, I, we don't need a robot to play chess. My my cousin and uncle used to have this. It was a chessboard and it ran on like it had magnetics underneath it and you would connect it to your phone and you could play online with someone that was like over and like, I, I don't sure. know, overseas and it would move the piece automatically with the magnetic piece while you're playing online. Like they were in another state, another country and the other pieces across the board from you would move because you'd click, move and then move it on their board too. We need that, not the robot. Sure. I... Any of this stuff with robots makes me nervous. No, All even the vacuum I just cleaners? don't understand. Well, we've got one of those. <laughs> okay, that's the my Roomba? point. Yeah. yeah. You scared of a Roomba? I, that, that was not my choice. I want to make that very clear. That was on the wedding registry. I didn't decide to get the Roomba. The Roomba is small. It's not as robotic. It doesn't have an arm to where it could break your finger. Exactly. And it, the worst case scenario with my Roomba is that if it gets a mind of its own, it's going to start vacuuming when I don't want it to vacuum. Like, yep. that's not a bad deal. I, that's okay. I can live with that. Let me say I went out to dinner at this Mexican restaurant recently. This was literally last week. And this giant robot came out of the kitchen and wheeled over our plates of food to my family. Don't need that. But it like ran into the What's table. What's wrong with that? It like ran into the table multiple times because it like couldn't figure out where to stop. And I'm like, what is happening here? You know what I want a robot to do? Fold my laundry. I hate doing laundry. Yeah, see, that's gonna go. That's gonna end poorly. And like the there are gonna be unintended consequences of that. (laughs) It can't be much worse than me at folding a bed sheet. So that's just creepy. Can you imagine buying something with arms to fold your laundry though? Like, what does that look like? Oh, I would do it in a heartbeat. And eventually, that thing's gonna be able to be programmed to do other stuff, like laundry today, killing you in your house tomorrow. Exactly. I don't need that in my life. That's where I was going. I don't. All of this stuff is terrifying to me. We. We don't need to continue pushing forward in this direction. I don't need robots to be able to play no. chess against me. I don't need a robot to throw a football to me in my backyard. I don't need a robot to do my laundry. I'm good. We can do all of this amongst ourselves as humans. Let's let's reel it in here. Let's reel it in. I, I could go for a robot to cook me dinner, too. <laughs> Coming up in 15 minutes, what does Yachty's return to the lineup mean for the Cardinals? We'll get into that coming up at 1.15. Some NFL quick hitters at 1.30. But next, Buster Olney, one of the best insiders in the business. What does he think the Cardinals' realistic chances are to acquire Juan Soto? And if not Soto, who is the pitcher this team's going to get? We'll talk to Buster Olney about that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Buster 
is one of the best baseball insiders in the world. Always enjoy catching up with him here on the show. He's joining us now via the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. You can, of course, find his work over on ESPN.com. You can also find him on Twitter. He is at Buster underscore ESPN. Buster, we appreciate the time as always, man. I'm sure there's nothing keeping you busy around this time of the year with officially one week away from the trade deadline. How are you doing this afternoon? I'm doing okay, and yeah, you framed it right. I mean, we get to this time of year, and, and all the conversations you have with, uh, you know, with the executives is about the trade deadline. And you know, this year in particular, it feels like about 90% of your conversations are about Juan Soto, who I, you know, I've been saying on TV, and I don't think I can say it enough. Um, when when he gets traded, if he gets traded, he's going to be the most significant young player traded since Babe Ruth. Uh, he's 23 years old. He clearly is on a trajectory to be an all-time great. Um, and so it's absolutely fascinating, uh, you know, the conversations going on in baseball right now about Soto. If you would have told me even six weeks ago, Buster, that it was possible, A, that Juan Soto would be traded, and then B, when those conversations arise, not only will the Cardinals be in consideration, but they will be one of the primary teams that are connected in those conversations. I would have been absolutely shocked. I, my question to you, Buster, and I'm really curious your response on this. I understand that the Cardinals have the type of players that the Nationals would be looking for. Their farm system is great. They've got a lot of young, cost-controlled talent on the Major League roster as well. I get all of that. That makes sense to me. Do you think that the Cardinals, though, would be willing to match the price that the Nationals are almost certainly going to set to trade Juan Soto? Yeah, and that's, boy, <laughs> you know, I, I wish I could tell you what's going on exactly in the head of John Mazalock when he's looking at, you know, what the asking price is from the Nationals. Uh, I would say this, you know, the Cardinals historically, and you know this better than I do, uh, when they talk about acquiring stars, what they tend to like to do is to have guys come in, get comfortable, see how wonderful the city is, see how wonderful the team is, the response from the fans, and then sign that player to a long-term deal. Uh, they don't like to acquire players who have a, you know, typically a massive contract uh, already attached to them. You know, Nolan Arenado would be uh, some exception to that, and that's the opportunity they would have with Soto. Uh, you know, the fact that he is at this point only arbitration eligible. You know, seventeen point one million dollars this year, probably in the low to mid twenties next year, then about thirty million dollars the year after that. If you're the Cardinals, then you might say, you know what? We feel confident that we could bring this guy in now, uh, and he's going to wind up loving it here, and we're going to gamble that we could do that. And here's the thing. Like, if I were in a, in a conversation with the Cardinals front office or any other front office, if you look at the history of, of these massive, uh, you know, star for prospect trades, uh, it's incredible how one-sided it is that almost every time the team that acquires the player uh, winds up, uh, the superstar player winds up making a good deal. Because the fact is, is that when you get in, you know, an inside, uh, or, or excuse me, inner circle star the way that Soto is, um, you, uh, it's really hard for any offer to replicate that value. You know, when you look at Soto and you, let's say you line up four or five of the, you know, the top Cardinals prospects, 
there's a really good chance that no matter who, whatever names you want to put in there, soda is probably going to exceed their value. History tells us that when we look at deals like, you know, Vita Blue and Tom Seaver, uh, just about every deal except for when Glenn Davis was traded, uh, uh, you know, the Baltimore Orioles by the Houston Astros. That was a rare exception when you don't get equal value back for a, a player at that level. Buster, if the Cardinals do pursue a Juan Soto, just just speaking in realistic terms here, is there any chance that they pursue some top-level caliber of starting pitcher that they really need to be a one, two, or three right now in order to make a run at a World Series title? Well, and here's the deal with that. There really isn't a lot of elite starting pitching available. Uh, again, if I'm sitting in, a, in the Cardinals' front office, one of the questions that I would have is, yeah, we all recognize the need for rotation help, but is there real uh, tangible difference-making rotation help available? Luis Castillo, as you guys know, of the Reds, he's available, uh, and I think he's going to be traded before the deadline, but is the price for the Cardinals just going to be above and beyond, say, what's being asked for the Yankees or the Dodgers because it's not a division rival? I think there's a real chance that's the case. And then you go from there to Frankie Montas. Uh, of the Oakland Athletics, who's had some shoulder issues of late. Is that necessarily a sure thing that the guy's going to come in? So I could easily see an argument being made within the Cardinals' front office. Look, we can't upgrade the pitching the way we want to, but if we bring in Juan Soto and we put him uh, in between Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado in our offense, maybe that's how we make our team better. Because that, that would be a significant upgrade. And then, you know, as you move forward into 2023 and 2024, that's when you focus on trying to get that starter that they clearly need right now. Buster only is our guest here on 101 ESPN. Buster, on that pitching front, uh, we talked to Jim Bowden earlier today, and I'd be curious your thoughts on this as well. The three teams that I'm keeping an eye on in relation to possibly trading a starter would be San Francisco, Miami, and Boston. And you've got Carlos Rodon, Pablo Lopez, and Nathan Ovaldi on those three teams. It looks like we lost Buster. We'll try to get him back on the line here in a second. I think you guys know where I'm going with this question of, okay, if those three become available, does that change the Cardinals' potential interest in Juan Soto? Because those guys would require a at least a reasonable return. Um, you've got two of them, Nathan Avaldi and Carlos Rodon, who will be free agents at the end of the year. So it's not going to be a huge haul, but it's going to take something of substance. And then with Pablo Lopez, you've still got another two years of control after the year. So you're going to have to give up a decent amount there. We've got Buster only back on the line. Buster, I was saying the three teams that I'm curious about what they decide to do is San Francisco, Miami, and Boston, because they do have that frontline pitching you're talking about with Rodon, Lopez, and Avaldi. What is your sense on whether or not any of those three could realistically become available in the next week? Yeah, uh, Rodon is definitely one to watch because, as you've seen, the Giants have collapsed. And we just had him on, uh, you know, on our, our first uh, broadcast after the All-Star break against the Dodgers. That's a team that's clearly in trouble. Um, you know, 107 wins last year, way down this year, no production from Buster Posey, you know, retired, Belt, Crawford. So if they were to put Rodon, who's got to opt out in his, in his contract at the end of this year, out on the market, I don't think that would surprise anybody. Avaldi, um, the Red Sox right now, from what I understand, is sort of on the fence which way to go. They're talking with other teams about trading J.D. Martinez. Uh, they're not as aggressive in their conversations with Xander Bogarts. Avaldi would be one of those guys who might have value in the moment. But I will tell you, 
he looked terrible the last time out. His first start of the second half, I think uh, he, he was the guy who started that game that was 28-5. to I think he allowed nine runs in two and a third innings. Then there's some speculation among rival evaluators that he might have some sort of a back issue. And, you know, in the current front offices, uh, they typically don't pay attention to small sample size. This is the one time a year when small sample size can matter. So we'll see if, uh, you know, that that would be the case. And with the Marlins, uh, it's interesting. They're not really in the race at this point, but they're not really out of it. The best chance for them probably in 2023 is to take a big uh, step forward, uh, you know, by adding some offense because their pitching is pretty good. And it's just a question of whether or not they, they are willing to break apart that pitching. I have not heard from any general manager that uh, that they're hearing from the Marlins are willing to sell some of those guys. Buster, is there a starting pitcher on the market that we've not mentioned that seems like it would be a viable option to improve the Cardinals to some level? Please. No. <laughs> that's, what I, that, that's what I go back to what I was mentioning before. If you don't feel like you have access to Castillo uh, with the Cincinnati Reds, um, and you've gone through all the names of guys who probably would be more like number three to number five starters. Rodon is interesting. There's no doubt about it. Like that to me would be the guy, if you're the Cardinals, you're looking at. But if you're you know, thinking about Soto and you're thinking big picture, if you can upgrade your offense significantly uh, with a Soto, then that might be uh, your our internal argument to be like, look, we, it's, we, there's no perfect solution out there in terms of our pitching, but we can make our team better by you know, adding a Soto, grabbing one of these relievers who are out there, loading up on bullpen as much as we can. That's how we would be dangerous. Because let's face it, guy. I mean, you go Goldschmidt, Soto, and Arnato. Good Lord. <laughs> that would be fun to watch. And I know, by the way, they're doing the same exercise in San Diego when they can talk about Tatis Jr. and Soto and, and Manny Machado. Uh, the Blue Jays, who knows? Maybe they're having those conversations. But that, to me, given the fact that there's not a wealth of really good starting pitching available, that, to me, would be one uh, conversation the Cardinals should be having. All right, Buster, let's continue down this path then. Here's a question I have not seen the answer to. A, what's the urgency for the Nationals? Do you think that they feel an urgent need to trade Juan Soto at the deadline? Or do you think it's possible if they don't get the return that they're absolutely looking for, they wait until the offseason? And then B, what is their motive? Is it to shed salary in this deal? Or is it to get the greatest possible return for Juan Soto? Basically, I'm asking, do you think that they are for sure going to just trade Soto or do you think they're going to try to package the Patrick Corbin deal with him? Uh, I think they're going to trade Soto. And the reason why is, is actually something you didn't mention, and that is this ownership transfer. Uh, look, if, and I've seen this in, not only in sports, but you see it in other businesses as well. When you have someone who comes in and says, look, I want to buy your business, but I need you to do the dirty work for me before I come on board. Uh, you know, that might be if, if a company's being sold from one uh, billionaire to another, he might say, you need to fire the, the CEO, the, you know, the, the number two person, number three person, you have to clear the decks. Uh, I think that's what's going on in Washington, where you have that the Lerner family is selling the nationals and the incoming owners, I believe, based on what I've heard, have basically signaled, look, uh, we need the Soto situation resolved. 
We know that he turned down $440 million over 15 years, which kind of tells you Soto doesn't want to stay with the Nationals. When you turn down a record-setting offer, that says a whole lot. And if you're the incoming owners, you don't want that blood on your hands where you're like, hey, we just took over the Nationals. Oh, yeah, the first thing we're going to do is trade a Hall of Fame talent. <laughs> That's the mistake that Derek Jeter made when he took over the Marlins. It was like, yep, we're new. Um, Derek Jeter, I'm going to run the franchise. Oh, by the way, we're trading Stanton and Yelich and Real Muto, which is why the needle, in part, I think, didn't move with the fan base. So you've got the ownership transfer happening. I wrote a piece in, mid- in mid-May uh, about how everyone was watching to see if Soto would become available. And at that time, Mike Rizzo, who's the general manager of the Nationals, came down and said, we're not trading Soto this summer. That's ridiculous. We're not even going to talk about it. He totally dismissed it. Well, you know what? He's done a complete 180. What drove that change? It is possible that they could hear the offers and say, look, maybe we should wait till the wintertime. But that's only if the ownership situation is not driving the change. The fact that Rizzo has changed so dramatically and is now aggressively listening and going through the offers, that's a sign to me and and some of the executives that I've spoken with, yeah, they're going to trade him. Buster, I was looking at a projected package, really just a rumor of what it would take for the Cardinals to get a Juan Soto. And one of the ideas was Dylan Carlson, Matthew Libertor, Jordan Walker, Mason Wynn, and a pick. One, do you think that's even realistic to get a Juan Soto? And two, with a front office like the Cardinals, who have been so meticulous in their player projections through their farm system, do you think they'd be willing to give that up? Yeah, I <laughs> and it on paper in this you know, in this world in which prospects have, have never had more value than they do right now, um, that sounds like a ton. Like, it, it absolutely sounds like something uh, crazy that no team would ever consider. But then we return back to the conversation of uh, Juan Soto, when and if he's traded, will be the most significant young player traded since Babe Ruth. And you cannot, when you look at the, the, the history of the deals, it always turns out well for the team that took on a superstar talent. And Soto is that guy. So my, you know, my instinct based on what we've seen from the Cardinals front office would be like, no, I can't see them giving up prospects. But then I'm saying if they would ever do that, it would be for this guy. Now, the big X factor in all these talks with Rizzo, uh, and I've heard this from executives, other teams, is that he doesn't work like a lot of the modern front offices do, where he doesn't keep as many teams involved and circle back and try to get everybody bid up the offer, he tends to look at specific prospects that he really values in other organizations and says, I want that guy. Last year, when he had Scherzer and Turner uh, out on the trade market, he specifically targeted uh, the Dodger prospects that he wound up getting. Uh, I talked to other teams who, you know, according to reports, were involved in the talks, and they were like, we didn't even get off our first base. Hmm. with with Rizzo he specifically worked with us and I've said all along I think in this uh situation the Padres are the most motivated team and the Cardinals are the team best able to pull off the type of uh massive uh deal that's going to be required for Soto because of the players involved but I think the framing of your question was perfect would the Cardinals do that again if I'm sitting in there and I'm you know the baseball historian sitting in the corner saying Look, do it. it. Whoever you put in that deal, four or five players, Juan Soto, if you can keep him during the course of his career, is going to far exceed whatever value you get out of those guys. History tells us that.
Buster, final question that I've got for you is centered around Jordan Walker, who some, at least that are in the business of prospects. Listen, I, I've never watched the guy live. I, I don't know what he's going to be, Me but neither. some seem to believe yep. that he's maybe the top prospects hitting wise in baseball right now. The Cardinals absolutely adore the guy. I mean, they, they have said like the only guys that project similarly to Walker in their system that they've had in the past are Albert Pujols and Oscar Tavares. Like, that's the company that he's keeping in terms of their system right now. They would love to keep him and to not give him up. And in just about any conversation, I would say it's a non-starter to even have him involved in the talks. Do you think there's any way that the Cardinals could get this done without Jordan Walker? And as you were saying, your last answer, I, I couldn't help but wonder, is that the guy that when we look back on this entire sweepstakes, Mike Rizzo says, I had my eye on him. That's the guy that I wanted all along. Yeah, I, I, I can't answer that. Cause I don't know what Rizzo wants. Uh, you know, uh, and I got to believe they'd want to put him in. Uh, and look, uh, you know, we we all love prospects in, in baseball now. As I mentioned, they've never been valued more than they are right now. All you have to do is to go back in recent years and look at the number one, number two, number three picks. These are really smart people making their these decisions, and a lot of them don't pan out. You know, baseball is not the NFL. Baseball's not you know in the NBA where you're picking LeBron typically. Uh, you have a lot of things that happen. And, you know, to trade a, a Walker for a Juan Soto, you're basically taking a guy who has proven himself to be uh, like one of the arguably the top hitter in baseball right now for a guy who hasn't seen a pitch in the big leagues. I'll say it again. It's not even a discussion for me. <laughs> like, are you kidding? Uh, you know, the, when I was at the All-Star game, you know, talking with, uh, some of the National League All-Stars and asking about what separates Soto from Austin Riley, Tony Gonsolin, and others. They're just like, nobody has his combination of skills. I, I, and he, the, comp, the profile, I'll give you one example. The last young player, 24, uh, who, you know, Hall of Fame caliber player traded at 24 was Miguel Cabrera. His adjusted OPS at that time through his age 24 season was 147. Juan Soto, is a year younger, one year less experience. His adjusted OPS is 160. Like, it's significantly better. So when you can get access to a player like that, good Lord. <laughs> you had, yeah, I, I'm trading whatever prospect you want uh, and getting him into St. Louis because he could impact you this year, the next, next year, and the year after that at the very least, and you hope you sign him long term. Buster, we appreciate the time as always, man. Thank you so much for joining us in what I know is a crazy busy time of the year for you. We wish you all the best over the next week. Hopefully we'll talk with you again soon if the Cardinals end up making one of these big moves. Okay, sounds great. You got it. That's Buster only here on 101 ESPN. I always love catching up with Buster. And one of the things that I love about him is he brings that historical context into the conversation where he's been covering this game for decades. And he's seen all of these deals go down over the years. And he knows... Listen, it's a lot like is getting giving Jordan Walker up in any deal is going to be terrifying because there's that chance that Jordan Walker becomes an MVP. He ends up becoming the next Vladimir Guerrero Jr. And you say to yourself, we just gave up the pitch or the hitting prospect version of Sandy Alcantara. And that's what you end up with. That's possible. If you're giving up him, you might end up going down that lane. But you also get, as Buster said, one of the best young hitters in the history of the game and arguably the best young hitter to be traded since, in the words of Buster only, Babe Ruth. Right. That's a lot. 
That's a right. lot that you're potentially going to be able to acquire in that deal. And you mentioned Alcantara, and I do think that is one of the main reasons that John Mosellock is so skeptical about giving away prospects at this point. But like, I mean, it's Juan Soto. He has proven himself to a completely different level than that situation in entirety. I, I'm, I'm kind of on the bandwagon where you kind of just give what you want. <laughs> the other thing that I do think is important to remember here in terms of the money, because Buster referenced a few different times the possibility of having him long term here in St. Louis. And we don't know if that's possible or not. I would be shocked if he resigns before he hits free agency. I think Juan Soto will test the market. Could they resign him after that? Sure, they, they could. I think what's important is Paul Goldschmidt's deal come, comes off of the books after the 2024 season. That would, in theory, be the same offseason in which you would have Juan Soto hitting the open market. So you would have $26 million coming off of the books the same year that you could potentially re-sign Juan Soto. Now, it would take $40 million per year on an annual basis to be able to re-sign him, most likely. It's a ton of money, and I don't know if the Cardinals would be willing or able to do that. I don't know. But even if they don't, for two and a half years of Juan Soto... I don't know if I would be willing to give up Jordan Walker. That's where things get really difficult, is if that is just a necessary inclusion in this trade. Just about anything else, I think I'm to the point where I would do it. But Walker is where it gets really tough for me. And the Patrick Corbin conversation is where I think maybe if you include the Corbin deal, you would be able to get out of the Jordan Walker inclusion in this deal. Let's talk a little bit more about this on the other side. Buster only said something interesting about the pitching side of things, too. Where the heck are the Cardinals going to upgrade this rotation? They've got to find a way to do it somewhere, right? We'll do that next year on 101 ESPN. Good Lord. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Buster Olney was on fire today. If you missed anything from the conversation, check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, the free 101 ESPN app. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. If you weren't on board with Juan Soto before the Buster Olney interview, I would have to imagine he's at least potentially swayed you in that direction. He is the Juan Soto hype man. He he absolutely should be getting a portion of the cut whenever he signs his record-breaking deal. He also delivered some bad news. So if the good was, hey, the Cardinals should absolutely be in on this. And I think that they are in on this. The bad was so about that rotation. Buster, is there anybody out there that we haven't talked about? No. (laughs) If you don't feel like you have access to Castillo uh, with the Cincinnati Reds um, and, and you've gone through all the names of guys who probably would be more like number three to number five starter, if you're you know, thinking about Soto and you're thinking big picture, if you can upgrade your offense significantly uh, with a Soto, then that might be uh, your our internal argument to be like, look, we, it's, we, there's no perfect solution out there in terms of our pitching, but we can make our team better by you know, adding a Soto, grabbing one of these relievers who are out there, loading up on bullpen as much as we can. That's how we would be dangerous. Is there a scenario that I could tell you after hearing this, Hannah? By the way, Hannah Yates is in studio with us. That's Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. Is there a scenario where I could sell you on a playoff rotation that is Miles Michaelis, Adam Wainwright, and we'll see as the number three starter? Maybe it's Matts who's healthy. Maybe it's Flaherty who's healthy. Maybe it's Hudson. Maybe it's Palante. I'm not really sure. I can't tell you right now. 
or they go out and acquire some like number five starter that overperforms what we're expecting, like a Jose Quintana, and he ends up maybe being your number three starter. So that's your rotation. And then the lineup is just so overwhelmingly great that they're a legitimate contender going into the playoffs because they traded for Juan Soto. Could you be sold on that? Are we hypothetically speaking about this specific season down the stretch into the postseason? Correct. So you trade for Juan Soto. You gave up Dylan Carlson. That was the only significant major league piece that you had to give up. You gave up. Let's say they had to give up Jordan Walker. I'm sorry, guys. He's gone. He, he's in the trade. It's Dylan Carlson, Jordan Walker. Oh, there's Mason Wynn, too. He's gone. Uh, Michael McGreevy, he's a part of the package. And oh, by the way, Tinkent, sorry, but he's gone as well. Gave up a bunch. It was a huge mega deal that the Cardinals were able to pull off. They have Juan Soto, though, now. And you traded Alec Burleson, and you got a number four starter for you. Martin Perez, one of those guys that's out there that you could get for a, a borderline major leaguer right now. Is is that a scenario in which you would believe in the Cardinals as a contender this year? Um, offensively, yes. <laughs> I would say in terms of pitching, well, you mentioned Jack Flaherty, who we don't have a timeline on him, but right now we're not expecting him for the rest of the regular season. Agreed. Maybe in the postseason. And you don't know what that'll be. I don't think it's going to be Jack Flaherty coming back as an ace. If it was, I would be sold on him, Wainwright, and Miles Michaelis as your th- your top three, but then Steven Matz, we don't know when he's returning. And based on what Katie Wu said yesterday on this show, he's not going to return until the end of September at the earliest because of that MCL tear. So if that's the case, I don't know if, I mean, it's a bunch of ifs because you really have to have another pitcher in my opinion. So I think, yeah, if you're scoring 14 runs and somehow (laughs) not allowing 14 runs with your starting pitching, maybe, but I feel like that's the only trade-off there. Like you really have to have, another pitcher I guess the follow-up is this is this pitching staff salvageable because if it's not then maybe does that make it two-part question a is the pitching salvageable and if the answer is no does that make it more or less likely for you to want to trade for Juan Soto because you have two more years of control of him after this year and then you say you know what we'll figure out the starting pitching after the year how are you defining salvageable because i mean i can go find like the john lester j half the conversation guys to fix it right. sure but that doesn't make them a contender right Agreed. Like that, yeah. that doesn't what, what what i just asked Hino about like the cardinals can make the playoffs if they add juan soto they probably will most likely because of their offense the the rotation is what is keeping them right now from being a real contender and that is whether they have juan soto or not being a contender, if they added a Carlos Rodon, I can talk myself into it. If they added a Pablo Lopez, I can talk myself into right. them as a contender. If those guys are unavailable and you can't trade for Luis Casillo because he's in the rotation. So the guys that are available to you are those back end starters. Is it salvageable right now for you to continue to be a, or for you to catapult yourself into contention. Well, I think this becomes the question. If you have Miles Michaelis, Adam Wainwright, Stephen Matz at the start of the postseason, like those are your top three if Jack Flaherty's not there. It, those those three heading into the postseason, do they lead you to a World Series title? Your offense has to be really good. You're, if those three are your starters going into the playoffs, Can you win a World Series? Yes. And the formula is what we saw last year from the Braves. Your bullpen has to be dynamite and you've got to have a damn good offense with some big time contributors from guys that we're not expecting from right now. And that's that's a conversation we have not had at all today is are you that confident in your bullpen? 
I am, but I'm higher on the bullpen than I think just about everybody else in St. Louis is right now. Like, I, I think they've got some really good arms in there. And if that rotation is what you're talking about, Andre Pallante probably pulled into the bullpen as well. And I think he, he profiles really well out of the bullpen. So I'm confident in them, but I'm also higher on the bullpen than just about anybody. I, I think they could use another like, OK, so if you're going to the is this pitching staff salvageable by not going and getting like a Pablo Lopez or a top end arm? I mean, it's salvageable to get you through the regular season, probably not as a contender, just in that being the move for the postseason, in my opinion. But if you go to the Juan Soto route and you go and acquire Juan Soto, I do like what Buster said. I do think that you can get away with the, if you add in Juan Soto, and you've got the heart of the order being Goldie, Soto, Arnato, I think you still would probably need to go find a bullpen arm and go get somebody. Now, what... What would that cost? I don't know because I mean we basically tra- traded away That's Memphis. The hard part, man. <laughs> basically, gave, have so much. basically, basically gave Memphis to Washington. So now it's their AAA team. Uh, I, I don't know because I if you give up that package for Soto, I think the best way to build would not just be just saying, "Hey, hell with it, we're gonna go mash and just beat you, beat the crap out of your pitching staff." I think it would have to be the Braves' formula, where it is, yeah, we're gonna mash. And then we can have Wainwright and Michaelis be good top-end guys for us, but that game three, that game four where we need that third and fourth starter, we just need like two innings from our starter. Sorry, not two innings. Probably like three, four innings from our starter, and then good luck hitting our bullpen. And that's where I think it comes down to. I was jotting down the names in this bullpen. Helsley Cabrera, Gio, I trust. I know Gio's had a bit of a rough spell. I think he'll be fine. And then it just comes down to inexperience and Thompson, Johan Oviedo, uh, and who's the other? Oh, Junior Fernandez, and then Packy Naughton. Like, I like. And potentially Palante. And potentially Palante. I like all those guys, but they're all so inexperienced when it comes to dealing with, hey, we're in October, and this is where it really matters. And that's where I think you need a guy that's got swing and miss stuff that comes in and takes over that sixth inning role. And then Thompson, Oviedo, they're still going to be a part of that bullpen. It's still going to be an important solution to that bullpen, but I don't think they're needed in what I de- So high leverage, in my opinion, in the regular season is seven, eight, nine. To me, in the postseason, high leverage is six, seven, eight, nine. I think there's an ac- added inning to it. So I think you need another high leverage reliever if you're going to go the Juan Soto route, and he's got to have swing and miss stuff because What's I think this, they question? need that. I mean, I look at this situation and I kind of have in the back of my mind, I keep going back to how John Moselock operates and how he's going to look at this. So, okay, yeah, you have a great fun end to your season with Juan Soto. Yay offense. This is going to be great to watch. Cardinals fans are going to fill the stands like they always do either way, in my opinion, but they're definitely going to do it if Juan Soto is on this team. But then in two years, what happens? Because Memphis is gone now. Adam Wainwright. Yeah, I, I actually gone. traded the team like the organization, the Memphis Redbirds the entire are gone. Memphis team. <laughs> For Juan Soto. And so then Adam Wainwright in two years. I mean, then you're also, you have more holes in your starting rotation in two years. Then you don't even know if Juan Soto's going to stay in St. Louis, right? I mean, and then Memphis is gone. So I really think that's how John Mozeliak is going to look at the situation if I had to take a guess. I I think the big question that Moe's probably asking to himself right now. How quickly can we replenish the system? It's twofold. How much confidence do I have that I can replenish the system, as you said, Tanner? Because they've done it before, right? Like, th- this organization was not highly regarded in terms of its prospects as recently as, like, four years ago. And now some are saying it's one of the five best farm systems in baseball. They did that because they're really good at this. Like, they- they've done it before, and they can potentially do it again. Do they think they can? And how quickly can that happen? As you're saying there, like... In the next three years, you're going to be light on that talent that can come up for you, especially the high-level talent. Can you make up for that in other ways? International signings, in the draft, where do you find that talent? That's part of it. The other part of it is, what are we playing for this year? 
Right. Like, let's be honest. What what are the Cardinals playing for the rest of the year? Last year, when they made those trades for John Lester and Jay Happ, the stated goal was not to go on a run in the playoffs. Right. They survive. said it in their <laughs> press conference. They said, we traded for these guys to be able to give us major league innings while we continue to develop the guys that are down in AAA because they didn't view Johan Oviedo or Jake Woodford or all of those guys that were making spot starts previously as legitimate major league pitchers. They wanted to continue developing them. The Cardinals are trying to get through the end of the year. And then they went on a miraculous run and nearly beat the Dodgers in the wild card game. This year, is it the same? Is that the goal again is to get through the end of the year with your pitching? Or is it to get through the end of October? And is there a pitcher that's available to get through the end of October? There's a lot of conflicting factors here. And then, oh, by the way, here's this bomb that was just thrown into the situation of a 23-year-old superstar talent that never becomes available, where it's this shiny object that all of your fans are wanting, and you're sitting over here saying, like, we could go get that guy, but we don't know if we have the pitching to make it worth it to get that guy. And could they get that pitching in the offseason if they trade for Juan Soto? That's the other question is what if they just they trade for him now? They understand this is not their year to contend. And then in the offseason, they try to fix the roster holes that they have because now it's just costing you money as opposed to prospects. All of this is on John Mosaloc's plate right now, and he's got to figure out all of the answers literally in the next seven days. And the tough part, too, when you talk about, you know, depleting that system, how quickly can you replenish it? Then you're also talking about with the Juan Soto sweepstakes because you know there's going to be holes that pop up in years to come. Just in the two years, Soto's still going to be here if you acquire him, hypothetically. There's going to be holes that pop up in terms of, I don't know, whether it be pitching or maybe there's a major injury that occurs that you need to try replacing somebody. Well, now you went all in already, and sure, you might, have a, you might have a shot to go get somebody to replenish that hole, but it's going to be a lot tougher to do so. And, and I think that's the tough part for Mullen Company, because it's not like you're acquiring someone where it's, okay, we can get rid of just two prospects, and yeah, we get a star, like, um, not the Arnaldo, because I don't think they really gave up anything massively in prospect terms, but let's say you got rid of two top prospects to go acquire a guy that's a star that you could throw in the line. It should be more of the Marcelo Zuna trade. Yeah, like more of the Marcelo Zuna. To that. Yeah. We, we basically parted with Alcantara and uh, Sierra. Two top prospects. But you had more prospects in the system that you could go, all right, in two years, if we have a hole that pops up and we don't know what it's going to be, we can go back to the system and go, okay, here we go. We can use these guys to go fill that hole. I mean, you give up all this, all these assets for Juan Soto, it's essentially, all right, what we have better work for basically two years because it's going to be very tough for us to add via the trade deadline and with the money that Soto is going to be making because, I mean, it's possible he could be making $30 million by that third year of arbitration. Uh, you're looking at that and you're going, okay, we, we probably can't play in free agency very much. And we can't really be making trades at the deadline. And that's essentially going all in. And that's kind of where the, it's not where the Angels are, but they have no farm system. And they have, uh, so they can't really make trades. I don't want to compare trades. this to the Angels because the Angels are like in. They're a dumpster fire, but what I'm saying, what I'm saying, because I agree, the, the Cardinals are not in the situation with the Angels. But I think where there is some comparison, if this does occur, is they, they're kind of stuck. There is no real right move to go fix the team. And this that's where core. the Angels are. Yeah, this is your core and it better work. And if it doesn't, everybody gets fired. <laughs> and if it but, doesn't, everyone's fired. I mean, if you look at the offseason, too, it's not like the Cardinals don't have holes to fill in the offseason. I'll be one to say it. Like, the catcher position is going to be a hole it's a really in good the offseason. Yeah. 
like, then what do you do? I mean, in my opinion, like, you have to look at the grand scheme of what John Mozeliak is looking at from an offseason perspective as well. We've given you perspectives from Jim Bowden and Buster Olney today. We've given you all of our thoughts. Let's hear from you guys. 65780 is your comfort service text line. The Rhino Shield mic drop feature is on the 101 ESPN app. Where are you on this right now? Knowing what we know about the pitching market, which it's terrible, one of the worst that we've seen in the last 30 years, knowing what we know about what it's going to take to acquire Juan Soto, it's going to be a lot. Are you in favor of the Cardinals making that move? We'll hear from you guys on the other side here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show. Coming up here in about five minutes, we're going to give you your chance to win a four-pack of tickets to next Tuesday's Budweiser Bash for Cardinals versus Cubs. So stay tuned till the end of the segment. We'll give you a chance to win that. We have Hannah Yates in studio with us. That's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. We asked you guys for your thoughts on the text line and on the Rhino Shield mic drop feature on the 101 ESPN app. Are you starting to become more on board with the Juan Soto conversation? If it means missing out on pitching, understanding what the pitching market looks like. We want to hear from you guys. Again, the Rhino Shield mic drop features on the 101 ESPN app. I do have some text that I want to get to here, though, uh, from your reaction as well. This one comes from the 618. Guys, I say go get Soto. The Cardinals have been playing it safe for the last 10 years. It's getting boring to me. I know this is a terrible explanation as to why I want Juan Soto. I just happen to want something that would be exciting, and Juan Soto would be fun to watch. I do think there's something to that. Like, I think there's at least a portion of the fan base, I don't know how big, that says, you know what, this is a very non-Cardinals type of move, and I'm kind of sick of the Cardinals making the Cardinals-y types of moves over yep. the years. No, I can agree with that 100%. <laughs> I think it's just like, oh, this is great. This is Juan Soto. This is the guy. This is the Babe Ruth comparison. Why not? You know? I, I mean, if you're if you're going in and you're saying, oh, well, I don't know if we'll be a contender because we don't have pitching, but we got Juan Soto. It's a great time. It's Cardinals a really, would still fill the stands, let's be honest. It's a really fun, shiny object for John Mosellock to be able to hold up, where yeah. he's like, hey, guys, we left the trade deadline and we got Juan Soto. I think Cardinals fans would be like, ah, I don't care about pitching. Let's just forget about that. We're not going to win the World Series, but... I think there's like two different... I think there's a really strong divide on this. Yeah. Because there are some that are in our listenership for sure that say like, I don't understand why you guys are even talking about Juan Soto. There is no pitching here and that's the problem. We've all been watching the team. They can't pitch right now. So Juan Soto doesn't pitch last I checked. Why are we talking about him? And to a degree, I understand that sentiment. But the reason why we're even talking about it, like Josh Bell is not a conversation. He doesn't help you. He's not a complete game changer for not just this year, but for years to come. Juan Soto changes your lineup now and also for the next two years. I've seen some conversations about teams like Texas or Chicago, the Cubs, maybe getting in on this because not for this year. Like they're they're not contenders this year and they're not planning to be with Juan Soto. But he could be a part of them being a contender for next year and the year after that. And I wonder if there is some possibility where the Cardinals view it that way, where they say, hey, 
Maybe we're not going to be a World Series contender this year, but with Juan Soto, we have a hell of a lot better chance of being a contender next year and the year after that. Right. And from a revenue perspective outside of just selling tickets, obviously. But if you would look at that and say, okay, well, we wait until next season. We have Juan Soto. Jack Flaherty's healthy. Miraculous chance that he comes back and plays the way that he was before he was injured the first time, if that were to be the case. I mean, you're looking at a pretty decent situation there. Yeah, with the rotation, I mean... Look, they took the gamble on Michaelis this year, and I thought they needed pitching help last year as well, or heading into this season, and they took the gamble on Michaelis, and Michaelis has been awesome. So maybe you take that approach with it if you go get Soto is, okay, we took the gamble on Flaherty last year, didn't work, maybe this is the year it actually pans out. And if it does, I mean, the price, I think if they acquire Soto, there's still the chance they can bring back Wainwright. I don't think it's Soto for Wainwright. So I, I think you could still have a rotation of Wainwright, Michaelis, Matts, um, and then you can have Flaherty back if he's healthy. I mean, he's a top-end guy potentially if he gets completely back to normal. And then you've got Dakota Hudson or Andre Palante at the back end of your rotation. Or whoever, maybe McGreevy can develop into that guy and just blows everybody away in spring training and becomes a number 5 starter for you. So I, I think it's I still think it's way too risky to do it. But I, I can see where the Cardinals could convince themselves of it, of holy bleep, look at our lineup, and then... <laughs> you know, it's risky, but look at what our rotation could be. So I would understand if the Cardinals did decide to take that approach. 65780 is your comfort service tax line from the 636. Guys, I think we would all love Juan Soto, but Randy pointed this out in the morning. If we get Soto, could that handcuff us next year to get the pitching? I think one of you guys mentioned this in an earlier 100%. segment. 100%. Where if they end up having to pay, let's say it's $22 million next year to Juan Soto. Is that going to prevent you from making the necessary moves in the offseason? Maybe it's a move to be able to get a starter. Possibly. Like possibly. 100%. I don't think they're solidified on the bullpen. I don't think they're solidified on starting pitching in the offseason. They're not solidified with the catcher. I mean, there's holes to fill. It's going to handcuff you somewhere eventually. Yeah, I... I don't know if it's necessarily the starting. They could potentially go get a starter. I think what they would do is they'd probably do a buy-low candidate, uh, which I know people don't like to hear that. But, I mean, you could go get someone like, remember Andrew Heaney this past offseason? He was a guy we threw out there. Maybe a one-year deal. You try and bring it in and hope you can fix him. I mean, that's The Dodgers did it with a couple of guys. I think Tyler Anderson is there, and he's pitching really Mm -hmm. well for them. He's been outstanding. They got Heaney, and he's the one who didn't work. Exactly. So if you throw numbers at it instead of, like, significant resources at one pitcher, maybe this offseason they do the opposite of what they've done in recent years where they say, you know what? Yeah, we've got too many starters. We're going to sign three of them and they're all going to be coming in for three to five million dollars. So instead of signing one guy for a 15 million dollar contract, one of these guys we think is going to work out for us. We can't tell you on opening night what our rotation will be like three weeks from then, but we can tell you that we like the like the possibility of one of these guys being a pretty good starter. I, I could see them going down a path it like sounds- that. Like a familiar context there. <laughs> I feel like the past couple seasons, oh, we don't know who the fifth starter is, maybe the fourth, but someone will be there. There's some truth to that, unfortunately. Yeah, this year it was Drew Verhagen. And, uh, well, yeah, that, that has not yeah. gone well. Do we have any mic drops on this, Tanner? No mic drops. No mic drops on this. We'll hear from you guys tomorrow as well. I'm sure this is going to continue to be a conversation over the next week or so. If you are texture number 101 right now at 65780, and you can tell us what it was that broke the poor kid's hand earlier today. If you can tell us what that was that broke the poor kid's hand during our junk drawer story today, you are going 
going home with a four pack of tickets to next Tuesday night's Budweiser bash Cardinals versus Cubs on August 2nd. It's going to be the Ozzy Smith bobblehead night for more details. Check it out at cardinals.com slash promotions. Hannah, this was awesome. We're going to be back in studio together tomorrow. We've got one more day later this week as well for Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow at 11. The fast lanes coming up from two to six right here on 101 ESPN. You go Goldschmidt, Soto and Arnado. Good Lord. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.